Chapter 14 On Thoughts, Fantasies, and Distraction 1. Fasting is not just abstention from food, but primarily strict abstinence of the senses. When the senses are fed by external things, they transmit a corresponding amount of poison to the noose and to the heart, which kills the poor soul's life in God. Our watchful fathers have so much to tell us about the holy fasting of the senses. Their entire teaching is mainly directed at the purification of the noose from sinful fantasies and thoughts, and the purification of the heart from feelings that defile it. Furthermore, they teach that we must eradicate every evil in its beginning to keep the soul clean. As soon as any evil thought whatsoever approaches even slightly, it is absolutely necessary that we drive it away and say the Jesus prayer right away. And when in this manner we confront the thoughts coming from the senses and the devil, very soon we will feel the joy and the profit derived from the fasting of the senses. If Eve had restrained her sense of vision, she would not have poisoned the offspring of her womb, that is, all the people who were born from her. In short, abstinence with the senses saves man from hell. 2. I pray, my child, that you resist egotistical and proud thoughts, for from them and from similar passions all the other evil passions originate, and by them a poor soul is pushed over the cliff of destruction. Pay no attention to passionate thoughts. Disregard them completely, since the ugliness of evil is written all over their face. Disregarding the thoughts suggested by the devil brings salvation. Humility is the best stratagem, for not engaging in a battle of rebuttal with them, and fleeing for refuge in Christ through prayer is humility. Passionate thoughts may also be expelled by means of rebuttal, but the fight is difficult, and the soldier of Christ must be very experienced to get by without damage. Because Satan is also an expert in the scriptures, and he cites arguments to trip up the soldier. Therefore, whatever he suggests to you through your thoughts, whether it is pride, vainglory, criticism, and so forth, let it go in one ear and out the other. Since they are passionate thoughts, it is unnecessary to hold a conversation with them. Lock them out. Tell them, I do not tolerate associating in speaking with heretical thoughts, and remain firm in your prayer. 3. Pay no attention to whatever the enemy says to you. As soon as he is about to whisper something in your ear, immediately say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, or save me, rapidly and without stopping, and soon you will see that the thought or rather the pressure to accept the thought has weakened, and you will not remember what exactly he was trying to say. This method is simpler and more effective than rebuttal, that is, to contradict the thoughts suggested, because after the demon has left and finished everything he had to say, there is nothing left behind as a remnant or shadow, whereas with rebuttal, when he is defeated and departs, he leaves behind remnants and shadows of whatever he suggested to the soul, that is, faint memories of what one fought against. The first method, that is, to take refuge immediately in the prayer, is relaxing, and the soul is quickly calmed. On the other hand, the second method, rebuttal, is laborious, and if the soul does not succeed with rebuttal, one is likely to be wounded in proportion to the demon's skill of persuasion. 4. 
Flee from sinful thoughts. Cut off fantasies, the idol of provocativeness. Because Satan, that know-it-all, wants to separate you from God, your Creator. For when he makes a person guilty by means of sinful consent, the grace of the Holy Spirit leaves, just as a bee flies away from smoke. And then the soul is left without grace and joy and full of despondency and sorrow. But when we oppose evil fantasies, as soon as they first appear in the mind, by destroying or repulsing them, and immediately seize the sword of the Spirit, the holy little prayer of our Jesus, with eagerness and zeal, and at once we shall see the knavish evil thought abandoning its post and conceding the victory to the governing mind, which the grace and mercy of God strengthened. The cunning devil cannot tolerate seeing the holy guardian angel of our soul stand near us. This abysmal dragon strives to distance him in order to catch us bereft of a bodyguard and swoop down on us like a fearful tempest and devour us. And since he knows that only unchaste thoughts distance this angel, we see him rouse a multitude of filthy thoughts and fantasies of vain idols in order to defile the mind, heart, and body. But when the soldier of God realizes his malice, he seizes the weapon of Christ immediately and disperses his machinations. 5. My child, be careful with your imagination. All sins originate from the imagination. It is the root of sin. So be careful. As soon as a fantasy of a person or deed comes, of something you saw or heard, immediately drive it away from your mind with anger and the prayer. Say it rapidly and intensely, and at once entreat our Panagia mentally with pain to help you, and I trust in God that you will obtain the victory. You were proud, and this is why the devil started fighting you. Humble yourself now, abase yourself, insult yourself mentally, and God, seeing your humility, will help you. Just as you avoid fire so that you do not get burned, and a snake so that you do not get bitten, likewise, and even more so, you should avoid the devil's fantasies. Be careful, I repeat, with filthy fantasies, because this is how great spiritual men have fallen and perished. 6. Be careful that your mind does not wander here and there, but affix it tightly to the name of Christ. Entreat him as if he were in front of you by invoking his name with pain of soul, and then you will see how much benefit you will derive. Drive evil thoughts away quickly. Kick them out. Shout, get out of here, you tramps, out of the temple of God, out of my soul. Do not leave them inside yourself, because you run the risk of being wounded. Then you will weep and sigh. Be patient, my child. Flee from thoughts as from a fire, for they ravage chill and deaden the soul. But if we drive them away with anger, vigilance, and the prayer, they give rise to great benefit. So struggle, do not be afraid. Call upon our ready physician. Not many entreaties are needed. He does not ask for money. He is not disgusted by wounds. He accepts tears like a good Samaritan. He nurses and attends to a person wounded by the noetic thieves. Therefore, let us Hasten to him. 7. As for obscene thoughts, they spring from the imaginative part of the soul. That is, within the mind appear people, things, and deeds, 
that the five senses of the body have gathered and transported into the storehouse of the imagination, and in time the devil will present to the imagination people or things or songs and so forth that the senses have stored up. And in order to create thoughts, he incites the passion so that he may sack the city of God, the heart, that is, and defile it. Therefore, the whole trick is to drive away fantasies, people, and so on, as soon as they are depicted in our mind. And if we accomplish this, by the grace of God, the evil temptation is eradicated in its beginning, and we win with little effort. But if the thought persists, we should resist by invoking the name of Christ and by confronting those thoughts with anger. Furthermore, when we see people who scandalize us, we should try not to let the images of them be deposited within us. But we should drive them away at once, lest these images be taken into the imaginative part of our soul, and thus enable the devil to fight us by showing them to us again later. 8. Regarding your blasphemous thoughts, my child, which the devil is putting into your mind, do not fear. It is due to the jealousy of the evil sower. The devil tries to choke the Christian soul with the idea that he himself is blaspheming, and this way to poison his heart. Such thoughts should go in one ear and out the other. That is how much you should disregard them, because these thoughts are not yours. I am telling you, my child, do not fear. I shall take the responsibility for them. When these thoughts come, say to Satan, Bring whatever you want. From now on I couldn't care less about anything you say, since all these things are contrivances of your malice. Even though blasphemous thoughts are clearly from the devil, nevertheless we are also partly responsible for them. How? We are responsible because of the hidden pride of our mind that thinks that we are important. This is revealed by the blasphemous thoughts. They can also originate from our anger, wrath, hatred, so forth. Therefore, along with disregarding them, we should take care to reproach ourselves inwardly and to fight off every proud thought. Furthermore, we should be at peace with everyone, even if someone harms us. 9. Do not talk a lot. Stay away from backtalk, quarreling, loquacity, and everything that issues from a careless tongue. Drive away evil thoughts and filthy fantasies from your mind as soon as they appear. For when they linger inside the mind and heart, they create a grave condition, whereas when we are careful at the first appearance of the filthy fantasy and the filthy thought that follows, we remain in peace and enjoy the moral gratification of purity. Therefore, my children, let us pay attention to ourselves every time various bad thoughts enter, because the same approach applies for every bad thought. Whatever kind it may be, when it finds the noose careless, it enters and creates corresponding to the passion the aforementioned unhealthy condition. Therefore, since a monk is fought primarily by thoughts, the things that save him is watchfulness, watchfulness, nipsis, is derived from the verb nifo, that is, to be careful, vigilant, alert, on the guard. When we are careful, vigilant, alert, and on our guard, the house of our soul will be well kept, and we shall save our souls for which we struggle our whole life. 10. When a person is young, it is impossible not to be fought by filthy thoughts and fantasies. 
One must drive them away immediately and say the Jesus prayer, and they will leave. But once again they will return. Once more he needs to drive them away through the prayer and watchfulness, that is, through the attention and vigilance of the noose. One must be careful not to let the temptation form an image, because first a fantasy comes, then a thought, and then a filthy pleasure. So when through watchfulness we do not allow an evil fantasy to form, and at the same time we say the prayer, we are delivered from the disturbance. In addition, we are crowned by God for our good intention and desire to please Him. 11. You should always keep in mind, my child, that whatever your thoughts tell you is from the devil with the aim of making you despair, while he sits back and chortles. Therefore, you should also scoff at him and pay no attention to his silly words. You will never suffer harm when you disregard him. Take care to pay no attention to whatever he says, and you are saved. You will suffer no harm whatsoever if you adhere to this advice. Anyone who has believed his thoughts has suffered harm. This is why disregarding them and saying the prayer does wonders. Do not sorrow, my child. Do not despair. Do not lose your courage. No matter what the devil whispers in your mind, it is a lie, deceit. Do not believe him at all. He rejoices when he sees people believing him and becoming embittered. On the other hand, he is tremendously grieved when they do not believe him and remain in peace. As for me, when my elder told me that these thoughts need to be disregarded, I believed him completely right away and immediately put his advice into practice, which is how I was cured. For the cure to be complete, you must disregard these thoughts. Believe me, this is the best medicine. See to it that you do not neglect it. All your effort should be how not to think of those thoughts that the devil puts in your mind. Pay no attention to them and do not grieve at all. Show no mercy toward filthy fantasies. Strike at them with anger, with divine fear, with the double-edged sword of the prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Kyrie Isu Christe eleison me. Shout it intensely, cry out. Jesus is invisibly present to help. The Lord is near to all that call upon him. 12. Youth does not forget its natural laws. For this reason, it hurls rough waves of filthy thoughts against the citadels of the temple of God to render them dirty dens of bestial thoughts. Flee from filthy fantasies. Destroy them and kill the Babylonian thoughts with the sword of the Spirit, the prayer, in order to be blessed on the day when the secret deeds of men will be revealed. 13. Do not be dismayed, my child, by the thoughts of fornication. Just learn how to drive them away. If you learn this, you will reduce them by half, and your head will be crowned with victories. As soon as the person who causes filthy thoughts appears in your imagination, immediately, without the slightest delay, drive the image away, just as you shut your eyes when you do not want to see something. Get angry with the devil and say the prayer rapidly with pain and tears, and you will see immediately that the evil thought withdraws. But if the fantasy intensifies, cut the person depicted to pieces and make him ugly so that the repugnance will drive away the pleasure created. 
Be very careful not to grow bold and not to pay attention to any evil thought, because this small carelessness will give rise to an enormous battle. Be careful lest the sweetness of the filthy fantasy allure you and your soul converse with the person imagined, because afterwards you will extricate yourself only with difficulty, and after this experience you will see how necessary it is to have vigilance with thoughts. 14. When we struggle against demonic thoughts, the struggle will be considered as a martyrdom. This is because one suffers a great deal when evil thoughts attack, and God, seeing the toil and pain of his soul, consider it to be a martyrdom. Thoughts of unbelief are caused by pride and egotism. Therefore, my child, drive away egotistical thoughts and think very humbly about yourself. Do not criticize others. Look at only your own faults. Be careful with your words and do not embitter anyone. Disregard thoughts of unbelief totally since they are demonic and plan to rob you of your fighting spirit. If you don't, they will hand you over to the carnal demon and thereafter to spiritual death. As soon as you begin the struggle, thoughts of pride will come to you, that you are a fighter, and so on, and the thoughts of unbelief will fall aside. Thus you will see how the demons deceive us. Pay no attention at all to thoughts. Disregard them completely. Take hold of the prayer and the remembrance of death, and you will see how the devil changes his guise. 15. We should constantly occupy our mind with beneficial spiritual thoughts so that the cunning devil will not find the opportunity to bring us a thousand and one filthy and sinful thoughts that defile our soul and render us guilty and unclean before God. So let us attend, my child, to every thought of ours as well as our every word and deed so that we will not grieve our sweetest Jesus who suffered a cruel and painful death for us, the guilty ones. My child, attend to your thoughts, have a fighting spirit, and always be ready to confront thoughts. Do not yield, for we pay dearly and gravely for every concession. 16. I received your letter in which you wrote about blasphemous thoughts in general. Thoughts of this kind originate from pride. You are deluded in saying that the temptations have ostracized people from your soul. A tree is known by its fruit, and a cause by its effect. An elder has written that the amount of pride dwelling within us corresponds to the number of temptations we shall have. If we have true humble-mindedness, the peace of God would gloriously ripple in the seat of our heart, and everything would be quiet and peaceful. But since the peace of the city is being disturbed, it seems that there are revolts and espionage, and this is why there is trouble amongst the citizens, thoughts. The remedy is as follows. Not reading heretical books. Total disregard of blasphemous thoughts. Regarding them as foreign and alien, as barking dogs, as products of the devil. Humble prayer. Reconciliation if perchance as a human you were upset with someone. Vigilance if negligence has set in. These are the remedies that cure this illness, but it is cured above all by completely despising blasphemous thoughts as hogwash of the devil. When Abba Pambo was being fought by a spirit of blasphemy, he prayed, saying, Lord, how shall I be saved from these thoughts? 
And an angel answered him, Pombo, Pombo, stop worrying about foreign things, that is, blasphemous thoughts, and attend to your sins. As far as the truth of orthodoxy is concerned, there is no room for the slightest doubt. The Holy Spirit presided over the ecumenical councils. Whatever the saints of God said, they said with the Spirit of God. And as proof of this, we have the sanctity of their holy relics. 17. Do not be discouraged at all, my child. Every passion that springs up and disconcerts us is a salutary medicine. Drive away the image of every person or matter that disturbs you and leads you into temptation. Get rid of any person's image in your imagination and let your mouth say the prayer nonstop. Immediately you will see the benefit of this method. Strive not to let desire in the image of that person win your heart and mind. Usually in the beginning of one's monastic life, the devil brings to mind dear friends in order to break our soul's strength and crush our soul's struggle, and thus bring about a defeat with uncertain consequences. Therefore, we must not take things lightly. We must bravely resist temptation from the beginning by driving away images of people from our imagination, by saying the prayer, and by abstaining somewhat from food. Then, with sincere and perpetual confession, and with God's grace as our ally, we trust that the enemy will retreat. 18. I received your letter, my child, and saw the trick the devil played on you. Do not be distressed in such instances, but deal with this expert very simply. When he brings thoughts of unbelief, blasphemous thoughts, and so forth, have nothing to do with them, but pick up your prayer rope and start saying the prayer intensely, continuously, like a motor, and you will see in a little while that the distress and thoughts have left you, in such instances, do not dispute with him. Just say the prayer without any other thought or fantasy, and you will see everything fall apart like a spider's web. Let no anxiety ruin your peacefulness. 19. To progress in the spiritual life, it is necessary to drive away the various evil thoughts as well as their evil fantasies that provoke us and defile our soul. We must not remain tepid in driving away evil thoughts and fantasies, because every sin originates from the imagination and thoughts. So if we uproot evil thoughts and fantasies by diligently driving them away, we should realize that we are undertaking a systematic struggle toward purity from passions, and therefore one is freed from spiritual and mental disturbances. But when, on the contrary, we neglect to undertake this struggle to purify our noose from evil thoughts and fantasies, inevitably the vile passions will conquer us, and henceforth the demons and sins will control us. 20. Be extremely careful with your imagination. Do not accept any image, because it will become an idol that you will worship. A wandering mind is a shameless bird and paints the most grotesque images. It enters into the depths of our neighbor's conscience and depicts his secret and hidden things. Immediately destroy the image with the prayer as soon as it begins to form. The more you delay, the more you will toil and suffer later. 
21. Each one of us needs to attend to himself, to his work, primarily to his heart, to see if he has remembrance of God, death, hell, heaven, and every other beneficial divine recollection. The fact that we do not have spiritual consolation is due to our daydreaming and lack of introspection, along with remembrance of God. Your thoughts should revolve upon yourselves. Give spiritual work to your mind and do not let it wander about here and there. Force yourselves a little to be silent. Do not speak unnecessarily. Pray constantly. Criticize yourselves internally. Do not justify yourselves. In conclusion, without compelling and constraining ourselves, nothing spiritual can be accomplished. Chapter 15 On Prayer and Watchfulness 1. Time is short, and it is unknown when it will expire. Therefore, let us struggle and be careful, and expel every evil thought with anger and fervent prayer. And if we shed tears, we shall benefit greatly, for tears cleanse the soul and make it whiter than snow. Let us stand ready for battle courageously, for we wrestle against the powers of darkness, which never make allies and never lessen their attacks. Therefore, let us also rouse ourselves and not be drowsy, for our eternal life is at stake. If we lose the victory, we've lost our soul, have utterly lost eternal rest and joy in God, and have condemned ourselves to the second death, which is eternal separation from God. May this not come to pass. While practicing watchfulness, let us be vigilant with thoughts. We fall into sin because of our thoughts. So let us fight powerfully against our thoughts and not allow thoughts to become strong within us due to our negligence. But as soon as they arrive, let us drive away the fantasy, and with anger seize the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That is, Kyrie Isu Christe eleison me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. So as we all call this sweet Jesus, he immediately rushes to help us, and the demons flee at once. We must not, however, say the prayer negligently, but with a fervent spirit, cry out from the depths, Master, save me, I am perishing. The struggle to ward off thoughts in the beginning is small. If, however, we allow the thoughts to become stronger, then the struggle becomes difficult, and often we are defeated and wounded as well. But when we arise and cry out, the good Captain Jesus comes again and steers our boat to the calm and peaceful harbor. It is in our thoughts that we either suffer damage and are defiled, or progress and become better. For this reason, let us place our noose, that is, our attention, in our heart as a brave guard, armed with courage, the prayer, silence, and self-reproach. If we struggle in this manner, the outcome will be sweet peace, joy, purity, spiritual philosophy, and the prayer, which as a most fragrant incense will sense the temple of God, the inner man. Do you not know, says the Apostle Paul, that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? I write these things in order to rouse your souls to spiritual vigilance, so that you may find the inner peace of God and rejoice. Amin, so be it. 2. Let us fast according to our strength, but in the fasting of the senses, of the noose, 
and of the heart, let us wrestle against our soul's enemy with all our strength. My child, guard your senses and especially your eyes. The eyes are like the tentacles of the octopus which grasp whatever moves in front of them. They catch the prey of sin more easily. With the eyes, spiritual towers fell and were lost. When David was careless with his eyes, he committed murder and adultery, even though he was a great prophet of God who had grace and the gift of foresight. My child, since you are in the midst of occasions for various sins, be careful with your senses. Above all, be careful with your noose, the navigator, the most shameless bird, according to Abba Isaac the Syrian. The noose pries into the secrets of the actions of one's neighbor. It can be a filthy artist when it depicts shameful things. Therefore, at all costs, take care to keep your noose pure by immediately driving away every thought and sinful fantasy. Having as strong aids the Jesus prayer and the kind of anger for which it was said, be angry and do not sin. Three, be ceaselessly vigilant with the guarding of your noose, for the life and death of the immortal soul depends on our diligence or our lack thereof. Everything starts from the imaginative part of the noose. There is no sin or virtue which does not have the imaginative faculty of the noose as its beginning and starting point. Therefore, the holy goal of salvation is attained by diligently attending to this noetic starting point. Spiritual watchfulness, nipsis, primarily means to keep our noose pure of passionate imaginations and to oppose every attack of the enemy with rebuttal and the holy name of Jesus. Without watchfulness, the purification of the soul and body is not obtained, in which case God is not perceived by the senses of the noose and the heart. If the Lord does not visit a man's soul, he remains in the darkness of sin indefinitely. We, however, as monks dedicated to attaining inner purification in Christ from the passions, ought to be instructed very well in this most important lesson of watchfulness, through which we shall draw near to God through the senses of the heart. The devil fights intensely against this most salvific practice of watchfulness, and he employs every means in order to hinder it, creating occasions for sin and attacking us with all kinds of thoughts. But we too must at all costs do everything to resist him in order to attain the reward of inner purification and be crowned by the judge of the contest, Christ our God. Do not falter before the satanic attacks of our common enemy, but struggle with courage and hope in our Lord, who does not allow us to be tempted beyond our strength. Therefore take courage, my children, go forward with sweet hope in our Christ and the powerful protection of our Panagia, and I firmly believe we will obtain eternal life with all those who have struggled well and have been crowned in the church triumphant in heaven. Amin. So be it. 4. There was a holy man who cast out demons. The demons feared him. One of his disciples asked him, Yeronda, why are the demons afraid of you? My child, I will tell you, said the elder. I had a mental war with carnal thoughts, but I never allowed myself to yield to them. I had always arranged the battle so that the war front was at the stage of assault, and I never allowed the devil to advance further than the stage of assault. And since I had a continuous warfare, 
God gave me this blessing, this grace, that in spite of my unworthiness, the demons fear me and are cast out. Just think, he cut off temptations outside the door. As soon as they knocked, he did not open at all. Why didn't he open? What did he have within himself that hindered them? He had holy recollections which occupied his mind. Temptations knocked from the outside, trying to enter, but there was no place for them. They were given no room to put their own thoughts inside. He had stopped them with the remembrance of God. Through this continual victory, this holy man received the grace to be feared by the demons and to cast them out of people. It is a great boast for someone to succeed by the grace of God in keeping the devil at the stage of assault. There is no mortal, no spiritual man, no struggler who is not subject to the assaults of the enemy. That is, every human being should expect to be tempted. If people leave their doors and their windows open, as people in the world usually do, who do not have knowledge of God, then the enemy advances and conquers them. Spiritual people struggle not to open to the enemy a door, a window, or even a hole. It is often difficult to commit a sin indeed, not a sin that is done in the heart, but a sin done by the mouth or in deeds. Many things must coincide in order for this kind of sin to take place. To sin with the mind, however, is very, very easy. One is able at any hour, place, and time to commit a sin in the mind without anybody knowing it. Outward deeds are often prevented from occurring, not only because many factors must coincide, but also because of shame. On the contrary, an inward sin, a sin done by the mind, can persuade a person to commit crimes inwardly without being noticed. This inward sin is not visible. People do not see it, but God does. And if we do not fear people and do not feel shame because they do not see the sin, we should fear God, because this moral crime done with the mind takes place in His presence. Many people are deceived. Deep down it is due to egotism. It is egotism that does most of the damage. This treason first occurs inwardly, and then it is expressed through the members of the body. So we need intense and constant attentiveness. As we have said, intense vigilance. There should be a guard and sentry within us, which observes the thoughts coming and going, and checks their identities, so that spies do not enter and cause a civil war within the soul. The eye of the soul needs to be very clear and strong in order to see the enemy from afar and take suitable measures. What a great variety of thoughts assail us all the time. Every passion attacks with its own thoughts. If the soul sees clearly, it cuts off the thoughts from afar. Even from their smell, so to speak, it realizes which passion is about to rise up and immediately prepares itself, posts sentries, sets up trenches, and gets ready to face the attack of that passion. People become captives. Passion is like a snake that has poison within it. There are said to be big snakes with poisonous breath that poisons any living thing in the area so that they can devour it. The same holds true for the snake of sin. It spreads poison, pleasure, from afar, and the noose is paralyzed. Its powers are paralyzed. 
the person is captured by the passion and involuntarily is carried toward evil. When people are in this state of captivity, they protest and say, but I am unable to resist. At that time, I am unable to do anything. The answer is, they must take the proper measures so that the mind and heart will not reach the point of being captured and disarmed. By experience, as soon as the spiritual serpent spreads its poison, while it is still far off and before it reaches us and poisons our mind and soul, we must take measures to escape the danger. For once we are poisoned, we are no longer able to act at all. When a person yields to fantasies and is overcome by sinful thoughts, it is from there, from the imagination, that all evil comes. And when he has suffered many spiritual shipwrecks mentally and has been wounded repeatedly by hedonistic fantasies, then as soon as Satan comes back again with similar fantasies and shows them to the mind, immediately the person is captured. This is why one must not yield to them so that the passions and fantasies do not become firm and strong. 5. Keep the eyes of your soul wide open. Guard your senses, both those of the body, primarily the eyes, as well as those of the soul, especially by keeping the mind from wandering. This is necessary because it is through these senses that all the poisonous germs of spiritual diseases creep in. And thus in time the careless Christian contracts many diseases and loses the invaluable health of his immortal soul. Adultery of the soul occurs very easily when we allow filthy thoughts with their corresponding fantasies within us to overcome us. My child, be careful with your eyes if you want to conquer the demon of lust. Likewise, it is no less dangerous to look at indecent images, newspapers, magazines, etc. 6. My child, fight the good fight of eternal life. Make a good beginning to obtain an excellent end. Keep your noose entirely engrossed in the recollection of Jesus, and he will become everything for you. Joy, peace, mourning, and a multitude of life-flowing tears, which will make your soul whiter than snow and lighter than a cloud. My child, when you keep silent and say the prayer with attention, that is, when the noose pays attention to the prayer being said, without wandering off into something else other than the prayer, then your noose will begin to draw near to the sweetness of Jesus. Constantly humbling yourself will greatly help you achieve this goal. Humility is reproaching yourself always in any temptation or any matter whatsoever, and always justifying your brother. 7. The greatest temple in which God delights to dwell is that which he skillfully crafted with his own hands. Our entire being, our soul, as long as it is pure, Purity of heart consists in the noose being free from evil thoughts, from which evil and passionate feelings originate, which cause the body to be passionately excited. For it is then that both soul and body are defiled, and to a certain degree their purity and spotlessness are lost. The first evil and passionate thought, but primarily the corresponding passionate fantasy, is the starting point of all forms of sin. No sin occurs indeed if an evil thought does not proceed it by means of the imagination. Therefore, in order to attain the greatest good, purity, in the full sense of the word, 
we need to purify our noose from sinful imaginations and thoughts. Only in this way is purity acquired with a firm foundation. If we want to stop doing evil deeds without paying attention to our inward thoughts, we labor in vain. When we have taken care to purify our soul, the God of glory will dwell in it and it will become His holy and luxurious temple, giving forth the fragrance of the incense of unceasing prayer to Him. 8. What is the use of laboring and toiling with the body night and day if inwardly we do not take care to pull out the roots from which all evil sprouts? We have an absolute need for watchfulness and unceasing prayer in order to cast off the evil which lurks within us and replace it with spiritual good. Make sure that your daytime work does not rob you of oral prayer. Cry out the supremely glorious and sweet name of our Jesus, and it will not be long before he comes to help and console you. What is there that the blessed prayer cannot set aright and renew? Constrain yourselves in the prayer. Why should your mind wander around here and there and not turn toward our Jesus, when from him we left everything and for him we endure everything? 9. I know by experience that piety through silence, prayer, meditation, cleansing tears, true repentance, and contemplation of divine things renews the physical aspect as well as the spiritual aspect of him who struggles. Asceticism helps, of course, when the body is strong, but when it is weak, thanksgiving and self-reproach make up for asceticism. Overall piety and vigilance are everything. They are the true marks of a soul living in Christ. When these are absent and one practices asceticism one-sidedly, either he benefits little or he is totally lost because he becomes puffed up by the praises of others as well as by his own thoughts. Without watchfulness, that all-embracing light of the soul, inestimable in value, he loses his labors. This is what happened with many ascetics in the desert, and they literally lost their souls. As we read in the writings of the Desert Fathers, asceticism is depicted by the fathers as the leaves of the tree, while vigilance is the fruit. By their fruits you shall know them. It is fruits that we have been commanded to bear. May God enlighten us how to walk, for true guides have vanished and everyone walks his own way. May God be a true guide for all of us. 10. My children, whatever grievous thing the devil, the enemy of our souls, reminds you of, make an effort to drive it away immediately without delay, for every delay brings about unfavorable consequences. The devil is completely vanquished with prayer and vigilance. The essence of watchfulness in Nepsis consists of being sleeplessly vigilant with the noose, putting it against the passionate thoughts and fantasies of the vile demons. On this depends life or death, degradation or improvement. In other words, a soul that prays noetically and loathes and scorns the various evil thoughts is purified and sanctified with time. 11. In the war of the flesh, only turning our back saves us. That is, we must flee from fantasies and thoughts as soon as they appear. Do not linger at all in order to examine or to converse with fantasies. The imagination is a great and terrible snare. 
Things avoided by the eyes and the touch are approached with the greatest of ease by the imagination. Strive to keep your mind from imagining any worldly thing outside of your monastery. Only one thought should replace them all, the remembrance of our adored Jesus. If something in your cell reminds you of someone, you must necessarily get rid of it to avert by all means any occasion for war. Make an effort to erase your past. When it rouses itself and tries to choke you, call on Jesus and he will be ready to help you. 12. My child, guard your noose from evil thoughts. As soon as they come, chase them off immediately with the Jesus prayer. For just as bees leave when there is smoke, so also does the Holy Spirit leave at the foul odor of the smoke of shameful thoughts. And just as bees go to flowers which have nectar that makes honey, so also does the Holy Spirit go to the noose and heart where the nectar of virtues and good thoughts is produced. Without imagining anything, the noose should pay attention to the words of the prayer, which are pronounced either by the noose or by the mouth. The objective and focal point of all methods is to pray without imagining anything while paying attention to the words which either the noose or the mouth is saying. On Prayer of the Noose and Heart 1. Pray, I beg you, according to the instruction of the Apostle Paul, pray without ceasing. The watchful fathers say, if you are a theologian, you will pray truly, and if you pray truly, you are a theologian. Indeed, the watchful fathers of the desert teach that through various kinds of asceticism, praxis, contemplation, and the moral and spiritual philosophy of watchfulness and prayer, the noose of man is purified, illumined, and perfected, and subsequently it acquires the gift of theology. Not academic theology which the theologians and universities possess, but theology proceeding and gushing forth from the divine spring from which the rivers of true divine theology eternally flow forth. The Holy Watchful Fathers say that a noose that has ceased to contemplate God becomes either carnal or savage. But conversely, through prayer, and especially through noetic prayer, the noose becomes godlike and is illuminated by divine radiance. A person's salvation depends on prayer, for this is what unites him with God and brings him near God. When he is near God, it is natural for him not to deviate from the moral road, because he pays attention to every step he takes. Nevertheless, in spite of all this attentiveness, the devil never stops stalking us constantly in order to find us at a moment of weakness and thus drag us onto his road, which always leads sharply downhill. For this reason, my beloved children, it is a must, an indispensable requirement that we always be armed with the continuous prayer of our sweetest Jesus. We must not forget that the demons assail and attack prayer in order to render it ineffective by means of evil distractions. Thoughts of every kind encircle the poor man's noose at the time of prayer in order to plunder the fruit of prayer and leave only its bones, that is, the labor and the effort, for him who prays. This is why one who desires to pray well should drive away every sort of care and any thought whatsoever in advance before beginning to say the prayer. The noose as an overseer should supervise very attentively the words spoken by the mouth, 
so that prayer becomes a fruitful spring of divine help and grace. According to the Holy Fathers, Satan will always position himself as a thorn and stumbling block for holy prayer. This is because he is greatly troubled and burned by it. Therefore, my children, compel yourself in prayer, and also remember me, your wretched elder, so that the Lord may have mercy on me. 2. The main goal of the monastic life is to unite monks very strongly with God, who is the ultimate. When a person is united with God and God dwells within his heart, he lacks nothing. There is no void within his soul. Furthermore, he does not even lack any material thing necessary for living in this present life. This is but one more proof of how much God loves those who obey him. Prayer is the means by which we are united very closely with God. By prayer, we do not mean just praying now and then in front of holy icons, but along with this, which we must do, a monk uses seven words of prayer in English and five words in Greek, which he says when he works, when he eats, when he sits, when he occupies himself with anything whatsoever without stopping. We say these words with the mouth, with the noose, or with the heart. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Kyrie Isu Christe, eleison me. Saying them constantly does not tire us. In the beginning, one must persist a little, but later he becomes accustomed to it. He says the prayer with great ease and does not want to stop. When he says it, he feels so much spiritual exaltation that even at the most difficult moments, if there are any, he is not disturbed nor troubled. Rather, with patience, he takes refuge in Christ, whom he entreats to have mercy on him, and Christ consoles him and gives him joy. What is more beautiful than to entreat Christ at every moment and to say his holy name with these lips of clay? Is there a greater honor? These words contain our whole faith. In saying, Lord, we believe that we are servants of God and that he is our Lord. This honors Christ that we make him our Lord, but is also, also honors us who are servants of such a Lord who is God. When we say Jesus, which is the human name of God, all the earthly life of Christ, from his birth to his ascension, comes to mind. In saying Christ, which means anointed by God, King of heaven and earth, we confess and believe that Christ is our God who created everything and is in heaven and will come again to judge the world. In saying, on me, have mercy on me, we entreat God to send us his help and his mercy, for we acknowledge that without divine help we are not able to do anything. This, in brief, is the explanation of these holy words. Whoever says them experiences many things. With my whole heart I pray that our sweet Jesus will give you this prayer within your soul, that you may taste the spiritual ambrosia of prayer and are replenished overall. 3. To guard love, the pinnacle of virtues, diligence in prayer is an immediate spiritual necessity. Struggle in prayer if you want our Christ to dwell in you, and he, the most experienced general, will struggle together with you. He will fight for us and grant us the victory. We may become like roaring lions when we get a good grip on the prayer, not when we pray carelessly or lukewarmly, but with strength of soul. 
Invigorate yourselves with the thought that the prayer is everything. Without the prayer, expect a general decline going from one fall to another. If we hold on to the prayer with all our strength during temptations, we will certainly overcome the devil, and we shall ascribe the victory to the all-holy name of Christ. 4. My child, with the weapon of prayer in your hands, fight for the divine battlements. Whoever struggles is crowned, not with olive branches, but with the unfading crown of eternal glory in the heavenly Jerusalem. This struggle is worth it, because the glory it brings remains unfading and eternal, whereas the glory of athletes who struggle for transient things is ephemeral and vain. Therefore, we must struggle by making sacrifices and bearing privations so that the holy name of God may also be glorified by us worthless ones. 5. My children, I beg you for the love of God, do not stop saying the prayer of our Christ, not even for a moment. Your lips should constantly murmur the name of Jesus who destroys the devil and all his plots. Cry out incessantly to our Christ, and at once he will hasten wholeheartedly to help us. Just as iron cannot be grabbed or even approached when it is red hot, the same thing happens with the soul of him who says the prayer with the fervor of Christ. The demons do not approach it. How could they? For if they drew near it, they will be burned by the divine fire which the divine name contains. Whoever prays is enlightened, and whoever does not pray is darkened. Prayer is the provider of divine light. This is why everyone who prays well becomes all radiant, and the Spirit of God dwells in him. If despondency, indifference, listlessness, etc. approach us, let us pray with fear, pain, and great noetic vigilance, and we will immediately experience the miracle of consolation and the joy by the divine grace of God. It is not possible for a person who prays to hold a grudge against someone or to refuse to forgive him for any fault whatsoever. Everything is reduced to ashes when it comes near the fire of the Jesus prayer. So, my children, struggle in the salvific and sanctifying prayer of our Christ so that you may become radiant and holy. Pray also for me, the indolent sinner, so that God may be merciful on the multitude of my sins as well as on my countless liabilities. 6. My children, always remember Jesus so that in all your weaknesses you may find the appropriate medicine. Are you in pain? By calling on Jesus you will find relief and enlightenment. Are you in affliction? Call on Jesus, and behold, consolation will dawn in the realm of your heart. Are you overcome by discouragement? Do not neglect to set your hopes on Jesus, and your soul will be filled with courage and strength. Are you bothered by carnal thoughts that allure you to sensual pleasure? Take the consuming fire of the name of Jesus and set fire to the tares. Are you oppressed by some worldly affair? Say, Enlighten me, my Jesus, how to deal with the matter which lies before me. Work it out in accordance with thy holy will, and behold, you will be at peace and will walk with hope. In all and through all, set the name of Jesus as a foundation, support, adornment, and protection, and do not be afraid of the enemies. But when you go through anything without Jesus, then you should be afraid. Without medication, do not expect to be healed. Putrefication will be the result. 
Make an effort in the prayer, my child, and then you will experience enormous benefit and refreshment and repose of soul. 7. Cry out the name of God. He is ready to help everyone who asks. Do not forget the prayer. Man's entire being is sanctified by the prayer. It is the only thing which those who do not struggle to the point of shedding blood are unable to do. What is more beautiful than prayer? Whoever prays is enlightened and comes to know the will of God. And how does he know it? When he prays well, of course. And when does he pray well? When he sends his prayers to God with all the right ingredients. And what are the ingredients that make prayer savory? Humility, tears, self-reproach, simplicity, and especially obedience with love. Prayer sheds light, and this light shows the right path which God wills. The prayer should be said without flagging. By praying thus you will remain invulnerable on all sides. When you find yourselves in a state of passionate thoughts, resume the prayer eagerly and assiduously, and immediately you will find relief. Hold on to the Jesus prayer steadfastly. 8. Say the prayer with pain and mourning of soul, then you will feel different. Pay attention only to yourself, then you will see yourself and you will feel pain, and that pain will bring you the mercy of God. Do not pay attention to heartbeats when you say the prayer. Just keep your mind from wandering away from the prayer. This is the center and the aim of prayer. Pray continuously with the Jesus prayer. It will set everything right. Whoever prays is enlightened, whereas whoever neglects prayer, like me, is darkened. Prayer is heavenly light, and whoever has the prayer within him or on his lips has the light of prayer welling up within his heart, and this enlightens him what to think and how to guard himself against the snares of the devil. 9. Compel yourselves in the Jesus prayer. This will become everything for you, food and drink and clothing and light and consolation and spiritual life. This prayer becomes everything for him who possesses it. Without it, the emptiness of the soul cannot be satisfied. Do you want to love Christ? Long for the prayer and embrace humility, and then you will realize that the kingdom of God is within us. Do not let evil thoughts rule over you. Drive them out immediately with the prayer. Owe oh, this prayer what miracles it performs. Cry out the prayer, and your guardian angel will send you spiritual fragrance. The angels greatly rejoice when a person prays with the prayer of our sweetest Jesus. May Jesus be the delight of your soul. 10. Cry out the prayer without ceasing. May God grant you a blessed beginning. May it not abandon you, or rather, may you not abandon the prayer, the life of the soul, the breath of the heart, the sweet-scented springtime which creates a spiritual spring in the struggling soul. My children, prayer and humility are the all-powerful weapons which we must keep continuously in our hands with sleepless attentiveness, because these, with God's help, will give us the victory against the demons. 11. Patience, my children. Do not lose your courage. Say the prayer intensely. Do not scatter your mind among earthly things. Even if you have cares, consider them as passing. Just keep prayer and the remembrance of death continually before your eyes. I beheld the Lord always before me, that I might not be shaken. If you pray intensely and without ceasing, you will not fall. 
You should realize, though, that if you neglect prayer, you will suffer a general fall. 12. Persist in the prayer. Do not think that great things are achieved so easily. You will labor, you will sweat, and God will see your labor and humility, and then he will easily bestow upon you the gift of prayer. The more you say the prayer, the more you will bring joy to me, primarily to God, and the more you will alleviate your souls. You must help each other in this sense. When you say the prayer out loud and someone else is not saying it and his mind is wandering elsewhere, as soon as he hears the others saying it, he wakes up from his daydreaming. Then his conscience reproves him because he's not saying the prayer too, but is just sitting there letting his mind wander. So he also begins to say the prayer, and thus the sayings are fulfilled. A brother helped by a brother is like a strong city, and bear one another's burdens. 13. Pray as often as possible. Try to feel compunction and to weep, and you will see how much you will be relieved from thoughts and grief. Prayer is a conversation of man with God. He who prays with a broken and humbled spirit is filled with divine gifts and blessings, that is, with joy, peace, comfort, illumination, and consolation, and he too becomes blessed. Prayer is the double-edged sword that slays despair, saves from danger, assuages grief, and so on. Prayer is a preventative medicine for all diseases of soul and body. Likewise, entreat the Mother of Light, the spotless Theotokos, to help you, for she is the greatest means of consolation after God. When a person calls upon her holy name, he immediately senses her help. She is a mother. When she was on the earth, as a human being and fellow sufferer, she suffered the same things we do. And for this reason, she has great sympathy for pained souls and swiftly comes to help them. 14. Let our throat become hoarse from crying out the sweetest name of Jesus all day long, and it will become sweeter than honey and honeycomb to the noetic larynx, the heart. With no other name will we be able to overcome the passions within us, except with the name of Jesus. With no other name will we be able to expel the darkness from our heart, and to have the radiance of luminous knowledge shine forth in our noose, except with the name of Jesus. With this name we shall arm ourselves, and in every war and battle we shall call on him as our general for help. And at the first call, he comes. Then our soul is filled with courage and we fearlessly advance toward the unseen war with Jesus as our champion. Let us struggle in our thoughts, always hoping on God. Let us always stand armed with the prayer and vigilance. Let us always be on the watch for thieves, thoughts from the left, without leaving those from the right unexamined, lest we accept evil thoughts which feign innocence. 15. Work at noetic prayer with much diligence, patience, persistence, and humility. You should know that this method of prayer is not achieved by chance. It takes quite a struggle, as well as much time. We must not forget that the devil hates noetic prayer more than we can imagine, and consequently we shall face fierce opposition from him in various ways. Therefore have forcefulness, courage, patience, persistence, humility, and a loving disposition toward our Jesus. Do not be discouraged at the first difficulties of the struggle. 
Good things are achieved with labor and pain. But when you see fruit, and oh, what fruit, then you yourselves will say, it was worth the effort for such a spiritual harvest. 16. Pray. Pray. Just pray continuously now. The miracles of ardent prayer are beyond description and explanation. One marvels how the sea subsides and how the fierce winds stop. Many times temptations arise like a fearful storm and relentless winds that threaten us with total destruction. But we cry out the prayer, Master, save us, we are perishing. You will see that all becomes calm miraculously, and we are saved. Amen. 17. My child, I received both of your letters. You seek to acquire divine love and unceasing prayer, supremely rich gifts, gifts which require afflictions, trials, time, etc. Therefore, my child, your trials are normal, and you should not wonder why you have them. So struggle to obtain divine love by constantly saying the Jesus prayer. At every fall, do not despair, but rally yourselves for a counterattack. 18. We live in this vain world, but it must not attract and engross our hearts so as to deaden its spiritual stanima and separate it from its Maker and God. Therefore, we ought to pray constantly, my child, in order to communicate ceaselessly with our Christ and draw spiritual strength from Him, so that we may face every demonic attack victoriously. Pray with the Jesus prayer, and He, the wonder-working Lord, first of all, will forgive us the multitude of our sins, and second, by his grace, will help us defeat the flesh, the world, and the devil, our three great enemies. Moreover, prayer is the provider of joy and peace in God. Consider how much we need joy of soul, and especially divine joy. Therefore, let us see to it that at all costs we take advantage of all our spare time. Utilize it for prayer. 19. Pray, my child, because everything depends on prayer, especially the salvation of our souls. When we pray with pain and humility, God hears our prayer and responds according to what is beneficial to us. Often it happens that after we pray for something, the will of God is expressed in a way that is completely different from what we had prayed for. This often grieves us because our own will was not done. We do not understand the depth of the divine judgments, and that despite all the disparity between the expression of the divine will and our own will, the omniscient God is working things out for our benefit in many different ways. Therefore, my child, let us muster all the strength of our soul to persevere and implement that great virtue which is called patience. 20. Glory to His holy name because we came to know him and worship him as much as we are able, and we shun the confusion and the vanity of this age. Glory to God who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Know, my child, that when the heart is free from the things of this world and occupies itself with the study of the divine scriptures, vain thoughts flee, and the noose is confined to thinking divine thoughts. It is not interested in this present life, but by the great pleasure of continuous meditation, it is lifted up to God. Through the continuous invocation of the name of God by the means of the unceasing prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Kyrie Jesu Christe eleison me. 
man receives a sense of the other life, of the age to come, and of the hope which is stored up for the righteous. He foretastes the magnificence of that life, and says with astonishment, O oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of the unsearchable God! For he has prepared another world that is so wondrous in order to bring into it all the prudent people to keep them there in life everlasting. 21. My children work diligently at the spiritual fragrance. I am speaking of prayer, this holy conversation with Jesus which abundantly provides his blessings. Yes, children of the Spirit, love prayer with your whole heart so that all of you becomes a fragrance of grace and that you smell sweet to those near you and make them say, Truly, monasticism makes monks give off an angelic fragrance through spiritual grace. So, let the filthy passions be far from you, for they cause a foul smell, and they make a bad impression. 22. Let us compel ourselves, children, in the prayer of our sweetest Jesus, so that he may grant us his mercy, so that we may be united with his grace in order to carry out his divine commandments and acquire his love. And when we acquire it, it makes us gods by grace and by participation. And then the path of our Christ will not be harsh and steep for us, but sweet and pleasant. And then we shall carry out his commandments with great ease. Amen. Chapter 15 continued. Homilies on Prayer on watchfulness and noetic prayer. The watchful fathers labored greatly in order to find the grace of God through prayer. This is why we, their children, owe them eternal thanks, for they showed us a road which leads the soul to union with God. One wonders and says, but how is it possible for people, and especially for monks and priests, to live spiritually and satisfy their spiritual needs without prayer, which our watchful fathers gave us out of their experience? St. Gregory Palamas, the great luminary of Hezekiah, vigilance and especially unceasing prayer, wrote the greatest and most systematic lessons on prayer and received the title, The Head and Chief of the Watchful Fathers. When he lived ascetically outside the great laver on Manathos, together with his synodia, he had a vision in which he saw that he had before him a vessel, like a pitcher, which contained a liquid material. It was so full that the liquid was overflowing, it was going to waste. That beautiful white beverage, which was within the vessel, looked like milk. A man of sacred appearance said to him, Gregory, why do you let so much spiritual material overflow and go to waste, instead of giving it to those who need it? The saint, of course, understood that it was the grace of God. It was that spiritual material and drink which he had within himself as the grace of God, as wisdom, as experience, as watchfulness, as the gift of speaking. Why do you neglect these gifts, he said, and confine them here in this place instead of imparting them to the weak, the hungry, the starving, the thirsty people? Indeed, years later, with God's help and guidance, of course, he found himself among many people, and he dispersed spiritual benefit and quenched the thirst of the souls in need. Even when he was in the world, he prayed by himself, he practiced hesychism alone in his cell, and only on Saturday and Sunday did he attend the liturgy. All the other days of the week, he confined himself to his cell, and he did not go out at all. 
he neither ate nor drank. Only on Saturday did he break his silence and go to the Divine Liturgy. After receiving communion, he would go to the refectory and speak with the fathers and the brethren. Then once again he kept silence from Sunday afternoon until Saturday. These great fathers taught us that when a person's soul is attacked by thoughts that are filthy, proud, egotistical, blasphemous, sinful, and so forth, the soul must struggle to expel the thoughts with anger and wrath, as well as with the prayer and rebuttal. It is not enough to employ only anger and wrath against evil fantasies and thoughts. It is absolutely necessary for the person who is being fought against to pray with the unceasing prayer, with the invocation of the divine name, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Kyrie Isu Christe, eleison me. According to the fathers, the name of Christ has restorative power within it. That is, this prayer of Christ has power to restore the soul which has fallen low and has become weak, which has become negligent and has sinned. There are days and times in the life of a spiritual person when he feels an emptiness within himself, a weakness of soul. Something is missing. Something within him has left, and he does not quite know how to come to himself, how to bring back the initial strength and grace which his soul had. He does not know how to bring back the fullness which he lost. In this case, the Holy Fathers teach us, Resume the prayer. Begin prayer again, either with the mouth, with the mind, or with the heart, and this lost fullness will return. You will find it again, provided that you force yourself to pray. It is of great value when a person does not stop the prayer. But when one is working, someone will object. The mind is scattered here and there. Nevertheless, it is possible to say the prayer very well with the mouth at such a time, discreetly and quietly, and thus to restore the feeling of grace to his soul. Our fathers have left us a great inheritance of limitless value, which cannot be measured, weighed, or calculated. This inheritance is called watchfulness. Watchfulness means attention to thoughts, fantasies, and the movements of the senses. It is a spiritual strength that opposes evil. It is clear perception, that is, the noose sees temptations from afar and flees, taking the appropriate safety measures. It is when the noose oversees the heart and the thoughts coming in and going out of it. Before the Holy Fathers, those teachers of watchfulness, systematized noetic prayer, monks occupied themselves primarily with virtues belonging to praxis. Asceticism done with the body is called praxis. Whether it is fasting, abstinence, prostrations, vigil, the church services, obedience, humility, etc. They called this praxis somewhat beneficial, while they called watchfulness greatly beneficial. From the 14th century onward, prayer began to be systematized and organized by the fathers. They left writings about prayer. They mo made known the work of watchfulness as something necessary for the perfection of man. Before the teaching concerning the work of vigilance had been systematized, before it was known and freely circulated, the fathers and spiritual people toiled greatly in praxis. They kept many fasts, many vigils, endured hardships, Etc. But when the work of vigilance came to light as a systematic method, then the amount of asceticism was reduced, not because it is unnecessary, but because the fathers dedicated themselves more to spiritual work than to praxis. Through the work of watchfulness, 
they were freed from thoughts, and the passions were reduced. The work of watchfulness gave them purity of heart. This is why they did not have such an absolute need for bodily asceticism to attain purity of soul. For this reason, we monks must not lay aside this prayer, for it is guaranteed to bring benefit 1,000%. For when the work of watchfulness purifies the noose and heart and gives prudent care to the exterior senses of the body as well as to the interior senses of the soul, then a monk does not need much asceticism to attain the same goal. Asceticism through praxis is a helpful means towards watchfulness. For this reason the fathers, in part and according to their strength, also exercised themselves in asceticism through praxis, in order, of course, to help the work of watchfulness. But for the most part they pursued the work of watchfulness. Because prayer and watchfulness teach the most thorough lessons about spiritual matters and theoria. The work of watchfulness leads the watchful person to theoria. From theoria, from vision, to wisdom, and from wisdom to love. And it is from love that divine eros proceeds. Purity was a natural result of this work of watchfulness. Purity of both soul and body came on its own. While in physical asceticism, the fathers exerted themselves to death and suffered greatly. The work of watchfulness and nipsis took away most of the labor and the toil. The work of watchfulness led the watchful fathers, the niptikipateris, to freedom from care, for they saw that caring unduly for many things in various matters is a serious obstacle to the pursuit of watchfulness, because it gives birth to thoughts. Thoughts draw the attention of the noose away from prayer and theoria. And for this reason, the fathers call the care for the things which are unnecessary and superfluous spiritual tuberculosis. Cenobites, those who live in the cenobiums, live under obedience. A natural consequence of obedience is freedom from cares for the one who obeys. For as long as I practice obedience and as long as someone else bears the concerns, I can have peace and tranquility carrying out only my tasks, my diaconima. When I carry out a diaconima and I consider that beyond this I do not need to worry about anything else, I can combine my work with prayer very well. If I see that my noose is unable to attend to the handicraft with prayer because it is distracted by many things unrelated to the duties it has at its diaconima, then, out of necessity, I will begin the oral invocation of the name of Christ, saying in a whisper, Kyrie Jesus Christ, eleison me, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. When the mouth prays and the hands work, the work has twice the grace. The grace of obedience and the grace of prayer. Obedience gives us a reward for our work, while prayer sanctifies it. Any work escorted by prayer has a special grace. In the monastery of Tabanisi in Egypt, there was so much stillness that they called it a necropolis, a city of the dead. By this they meant that the fathers were so silent that it was as if they were not living people who have need of speech and bustle. Furthermore, since they had this stillness, this Hezekiah, they certainly had the time to say the prayer or to be occupied with the theoria of God. It is clear that someone who loves stillness 
has understood the benefit of stillness and prayer. We do not need the benefit of being vigilant with our thoughts. We do not know the value of silence. We have not found out how much benefit comes from remaining in stillness in our cell. A monk who lacks prayer feels empty unless he has not tasted the benefit of prayer and does not realize his emptiness. If a poor man never had anything, he's not troubled. But if a monk who has been taught the prayer becomes neglectful and loses it, he knows his loss and is troubled. Therefore, monks must pray not only to carry out their duty as monks, but at the same time to be monks indeed. Not just monks in name and outward appearance, but also inwardly. According to the Watchful Fathers, one is not called a monk if he does not have this hidden work within him. Therefore, we too must compel ourselves to pray for our soul to be full of benefit. Only then can we consider ourselves to be monks. Just as someone could wonder how a body could live without a soul, likewise a person experienced in prayer would be at a loss and say, but how can people live without this spiritual nourishment? The Watchful Fathers tell us that those who pray in this manner acquire great gifts. Through fasting, prayer, abstinence, and vigil, we are given grace, the varied grace of the Holy Spirit. The grace of the Holy Spirit has many forms and many sensations. The Holy Spirit, through advanced prayer and the work of watchfulness, it bestows the grace of tears, the grace of joy, the grace of foresight, the grace of teaching, the grace of apostolic charisma, the power of forbearance, of patience, of divine consolation, of great hope, the grace of divine eros, of theoria, of rapture. We, of course, are continuously being taught, and the more we are taught, the more our obligation to God and the Father's increases. Our passions of soul and body are remedied in proportion to the progress we have made in prayer and the benefit we have received from it. The healing of one's passions and weaknesses marks how much a person has advanced in prayer. Consequently, we must compel ourselves. We must constantly urge ourselves not to forget the prayer, not to neglect it. When we notice that the prayer has sprung a leak, has weakened and begins to waver and stumble, it is necessary as quickly as possible to strive to correct it, to work with diligence to, to restore strength to our prayer. How will this be accomplished? The soul must collect itself immediately, must concentrate, tighten the belt, as we say, and vigorously begin to pray. It must drive away thoughts, expel worries, free the mind from distractions, and say, I will occupy myself with the prayer now. And when we occupy ourselves with it in this way for a while, we shall soon feel the power which proceeds from diligence in prayer. Prayer is the catapult against the demons, against the passions, against sin, and in general against everything that opposes us on the road of salvation. If you call prayer a harbor, you are not mistaken. For in the harbor, a small boat, which was rocked by the storm, finds its peace, its salvation and safety. If you call prayer a pick, if you call it an axe, if you call it a compass, if you call it a light, if you call it a thousand other such names, you will not err. Therefore, we monks must not neglect it at all. There are lay people in the world 
mainly women who occupy themselves with and struggle extensively in prayer. Even though they have cares, they have children, they have work, they have so many obligations, yet they find time to pray and to meditate upon the name of God. What do we have to say for ourselves, since God has given us so much liberty and freedom from cares? What do we have to say for ourselves when we neglect prayer and say it so weakly that its weakness allows the disease of sin and of the passions to crush us and make us ill? Do thoughts war against us? Prayer is a great weapon. The attraction of sin pulls the mind toward evil, but when the mind takes hold of the axe of prayer and lifts it and begins to chop, it uproots even the hardest of thoughts. As long as one gets a good grip of the axe and wields it skillfully, it really brings about wonderful results. Because the devil knows this, he hinders us from saying the prayer so that he can capture us more easily. He brings negligence upon us. He brings us cares. He brings us a thousand and one obstacles with the sole aim of hindering prayer. As experience has shown many times, the demons shudder at the name of Christ. They themselves admit through people's mouths that they are burned when a person prays. There was a monk who had fallen into so much negligence that he not only abandoned his rule, but was also ready to return to the world. He went to his homeland, the island of Cephalonia, where people possessed by demons streamed to be healed at the shrine of St. Eurasimos. Since he was near the shrine, he also went to venerate the saint, but a possessed woman met him on the way and said to him, Do you know what you're holding in your hand? Ah, if you only knew what you're holding in your hand, you wretch. If you only knew how much that prayer rope of yours burns me, and you just carry it like that out of habit, as a formality. The monk stood thunderstruck. It was from God that the demon spoke like that. The monk came to himself. God enlightened him, and he said to himself, See what a fool I am! I hold in my hand the most powerful weapon, and I can't even strike one demon. And not only am I unable to strike him, but he drags me captive wherever he wants. I have sinned, my God. And at that very moment he set out in repentance for his monastery. Once he got there, he made a good beginning again. He made so much progress in the prayer and in the monastic life in general that he became a model for the benefit of many others. I, the lowly one, also had the chance to meet with this elder. All you ever heard him say was, Kiri Jesu Christe eleison me, unceasingly, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. If you said something to him, he would answer with a few words, and then his tongue immediately returned to the prayer. That is how accustomed to it he was. That is how much it had changed him. And imagine that the value of the prayer and of the Komboskini had been revealed to him by the devil, involuntarily, of course, according to the judgments and the unfathomable plans of the Most High. Let me tell you another similar story. When we were at Nuskeet, when my Yeronda, Yosif, was still alive, a young man who was possessed came to us. The Yeronda, out of compassion, welcomed these unfortunate people. They stayed as long as they liked and then left of their own accord. These people are not able to stay for long in one place. All those who lack consolation from God within themselves seek it by moving from place to place and from one group of people 
to another. This young man had the demon of a prostitute. When it seized him, his voice changed into the voice of a common woman, and he said things which it is shameful even to speak of. As the apostle says, he was a barrel maker by trade. He stayed in Arsinodia for some time, and during the work hours he came to help however he could. On the third day he said to me, Father, won't you teach me to carve prosphoron seals too? Those barrels I make are hard work, and I've got this thing inside me that constantly disgraces me. I will teach you, my brother. May it be blessed. Look, this is how you do it. The tools are here, the wood is there, and the samples are in front of you. You will work at this bench. The only thing is that, as you see, all the fathers here in this Senodia, they don't talk. They're always saying the prayer. I said this to avoid as much as possible idle talk and distraction from prayer. But also something else crossed my mind at that moment. I wondered if demoniacs can say the prayer. So we began to work saying the prayer. Only a few moments passed. The demon flared up within him. His speech changed and he started shouting, using foul language, threatening, and swearing. Shut up, you scum, it said from within him. Shut up. Stop that muttering. Why do you keep saying the same words over and over again? Quit saying those words. You make me dizzy. I'm fine inside you. Why do you want to disturb me? It went on like this for a while. It tormented him. Then it stopped. See what it does to me, the poor fellow said. This is what I go through all the time. Patience, my brother, patience, I said to him. Don't pay any attention to it. These are not your words, so don't get upset. You just concentrate on the prayer. We stopped working and went to see the Yeronda. On the way, he said to me, Father, should I say a prayer also for the one inside me? For God to have mercy on him as well? What a thing for that poor fellow to say. At once the demon seized him, lifted him up, and slammed him down. The whole place shook. His voice changed and it started up again. Shut up, you scum. Shut up, I told you. What are you saying? What do you mean, mercy? Not mercy. I don't want mercy. No. What have I done to ask for mercy? God is unjust. For one little sin, for one proud thought, he banished me from my glory. It's not our fault. It's his fault. He should repent, not us. Get mercy far away from me. It tormented him terribly and left him a wreck. I shuddered at what the demon said. In a few minutes, I had learned more about demons through experience than I could have grasped from reading thousands of books. We went on to my Yeronda. My Yeronda always received him and talked to him with great love, and that young man was always calm when he was with him. He prayed a great deal for such people, for he knew what a martyrdom they went through from the demons. And he said to us, If we who have the demons outside of us are so tormented by thoughts and passions, what a martyrdom must these unfortunate people endure who have the demons inside them day and night? And shaking his head sadly, he concluded, Perhaps they're going through their hell here. But woe to those who will not repent so that God may chasten them compassionately in one way or another in this present life. 
And he quoted the words of a saint who said, If you see a person who sins openly and does not repent, and nothing grievous happens to him in the present life up to the hour of his death, then know that the examination of this person will be without mercy in the hour of judgment. As Ayarunda said these things, we regarded that troubled brother with more and more sympathy. During the services, he did not come inside the church with the fathers, but he wandered around outside on the rocks with his prayer rope and kept shouting out the prayer continuously, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. The whole place echoed with it. He had experienced how much the prayer burns the demon. And as he roamed around the rocks incessantly saying the prayer, suddenly his voice would change and the demon would start. Shut up, I told you. Shut up. You're choking me. Why do you stay out here wandering around the rocks and muttering? Go inside with the others and stop this muttering. Why do you keep repeating the same thing day and night and not give me a moment's rest? You've made me dizzy. You scorched me. You're burning me. Don't you understand? And when the time of temptation was over, he would go back to the prayer with the prayer rope. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. He had understood very well something that the demon thought he could not understand. It was with pain of soul and yet with hope that we saw him suffer, struggle, and endure. Anyway, he stayed with us for a while and then left, considerably improved. We never saw him again, though. God knows what became of him. Do you see the power of the prayer and the demon's refusal to repent? They are consumed with fire, and they cry out, Not mercy! And they never stop blaming God. Oh, what satanic pride! I wonder, how does an egotist, a person who is utterly unrepentant, differ from a demon? Someone who does not deign to confess Christ as God and man and to seek his mercy and compassion as long as he lives, do you now see the deeper significance of the prayer and that it reveals how near or far people are from Christ? We let our thoughts loose and they take control of us. We let our thoughts loose and they imprison us. While we could use the resplendent weapon of prayer, that weapon which is called fire and flame, this prayer is a whip that scourges every demonic thought. But we, first of all, I, and unworthy to occupy ourselves with it. Not that we are unable, or that we do not have the calling for prayer, but we are lazy and negligent. The devil leads us astray, and we obey him, and do not occupy ourselves with prayer as we should. If we did occupy ourselves with it, we would not have let so many passions and weaknesses conquer us. We see that even lay people who occupied themselves with prayer were sanctified. The father of St. Gregory Palamas was within the palace in the imperial court of Andronikos, the Byzantine emperor, despite the fact that he had so many concerns, worries, and business matters. He was involved with prayer and experienced the benefit and progress which comes from it. This goes to show that wherever a person may find himself, wherever he may be, whatever life he may lead, he can attain the grace of God when he occupies himself with this wonder-working prayer. We see also St. Maximus Kafsokalivis, the hut-burner, who wandered around the wilderness of the holy mountain in quiet places to be able to increase prayer. The fathers asked him, 
Father, why do you go into the wilderness, and why do you flee men and not come near them? He answered, I wander out in desolate places in order to increase prayer. Experience has shown that without the proper stillness, prayer does not achieve the greater and additional gifts which issue from it. Both in the world and in the stillness of the mountains, much is accomplished by prayer. We who are in a synobium must hold on to the prayer and implement the virtues of praxis, being obedient, cutting off our will, loving each other, being tolerant toward one another, confessing our thoughts frankly, remaining spiritually obedient to our elders, saying the prayer continually at our diaconima. And when we have carried out all these things, the grace of God will come in proportion to our intention and our faith, in proportion to the faith and obedience which we have toward our elders, in proportion to our ascetic struggle. We here, under one roof, under the guidance of one shepherd, are also able to attain a sufficient measure of grace, for God does not show favoritism. He rewards those who work at his commandments with a pure heart, with a pure conscience, and he comforts them and gives them the hope of salvation. In conclusion, there's nothing left for us to do except to compel ourselves, to compel ourselves constantly. We should occupy ourselves with the prayer above all, saying continuously, Kyrie Yesu Christe eleison me, Lord Jesus Christ have mercy on me. As we wake up in the morning, we should say the prayer, then we should do our work with the name of Christ on our lips. And by saying the prayer like this, we cut down on idle talk, superfluous words, criticism, anger, and grumbling. And each one of us keeps stillness within himself. Woe to us when we are taught and do not practice, when we do not compel ourselves, when we are furnished with the means to compel ourselves and yet do nothing. What is left for us to do except to condemn ourselves continuously as unworthy, wretched, and lazy? At least through self-reproach and humility we may regain forcefulness in prayer. For humility and self-reproach bring the grace of God, and grace in turn brings eagerness and facilitates prayer. As I also said in the beginning of this homily, we owe continual gratitude to our watchful fathers, let us revere them, love them, and glorify them. Let us seek their prayers and intercessions, and let us entreat them to send us also a small gift, a little blessing of prayer. The Art of Prayer For a monk, prayer must be like an inseparable companion. During the time which we have set aside to pray somewhat more collectedly and attentively, we must force ourselves, in a sense, to try and fix our noose in the place of the heart, without imagining it, of course. We should breathe slowly, and with our inner voice say the prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Kyrie Jesu Christe, eleison me. We should set our noose as a guard, as an overseer, to follow the inner voice which is saying the prayer. Furthermore, our noose should make sure that the imagination does not accept any image. Together with this, we shall rouse a loving disposition in our soul, so that our prayer will be strengthened and made whole with good results. This result may be ease in saying the prayer, spiritual warmth, joy, tears, and so forth. Of course, before we start saying the prayer, it is helpful to look back for two or three minutes at our sins, our passions, and to reflect on our sinfulness, our passionate condition, the lowly state of our soul, and that we cannot do anything without God.
Likewise, one can call to mind the judgment of God or a state of damnation in the other world. With the feeling which will be created within the soul in this manner, we shall be moved to regulate the prayer with our breathing. In this way, the soul is prepared so that after a few minutes, when we begin praying, the prayer will have a certain spiritual impetus and hue. By doing so, the noose is more collected, more attentive. This contemplation, this meditation, encloses the noose and confines it. Thereupon we give the prayer to the noose, and thus it begins to pray well. When a person acquires the habit of praying in this way, after a period of time, the length of time is different for each person, depending on his eagerness. He progresses in prayer, of course, by the grace of God. For I believe that the entire matter of prayer clearly depends on the grace of God. One becomes a co-worker with grace through his methods of praying, but it is an accomplishment of grace for him to remember the name of God. The proof of this is that a person is able to th think any other kind of thought that he wants, but to keep the name of God in mind requires a very great effort. Something similar happens with plants, to offer an illustration. Wild plants and thorns sprout on their own without anyone making an effort, whereas cultivated plants must be looked after with much labor. Furthermore, if God does not help, if he does not send sunlight and its wonder-working rays, nothing is able to sprout and grow and flower. This is how it is spiritually, too. Man strives to attain union with God through various methods of prayer, but if God does not send his blessing, if he does not assist, all these methods and the great effort man makes in prayer remain spiritually fruitless. For this reason, before beginning prayer, we need contemplation, spiritual contemplation, that is, with humble thoughts, thoughts of self-reproach, the remembrance of death, and so on, in order to elicit help from God when we pray. Even when a person is praying, if he accepts vainglorious thoughts, prayer ceases, that is, the grace of God is immediately obstructed. It does not act. Then he becomes indignant with these thoughts and thinks, as soon as the prayer began to act and I started feeling the grace of God, thoughts intruded and grace withdrew. Furthermore, many times various evil thoughts approach, and at once the prayer is cut, and one asks oneself, But I did not accept these evil thoughts. Why am I now deprived of prayer and its grace? Even so, this happens certainly by the providence of God to instruct a person. It is as if God were saying to him, do not think that it is only when you accept proud thoughts that you are deprived of the grace of prayer, but also whenever I will, even without proud thoughts. I take away from you the impression and conviction that through your own preparation and effort you can succeed in finding active prayer. This is something I have come to know so fully from experience that nothing can take this thought, this conviction away from me, that prayer is the work of grace. Of course, we mean active prayer, prayer when one perceives the presence of grace, because any other kind of prayer without the perception of grace is also called prayer. So it is to one's advantage to be deprived of prayer from time to time in order to learn this lesson of humility well. After years, after losing prayer, many times because of thoughts, a natural inner conviction develops that it is only with the help of God that prayer is achieved. Abba Isaac the Syrian says, 
It is not when you prepare yourself with every means and way of prayer that you obtain the grace of God, but it is when God wants to that he will give it to you. When you have not prepared, it happens that he gives it to you. And when you have prepared, it may happen that he does not give you prayer. This is a very great truth. Many times when I, the lowly one, had taken all measures to find prayer at night, for the most part, I would not find it. I would get up on time, in my stillness, according to my schedule. I would do everything attentively. I would not make a sound. I struggled for hours, yet I would not find prayer. Then after this lengthy struggle to pray attentively, I would do something else, some other spiritual work, and would find so much grace from God. I thought to myself, so much labor, such a great effort, so much attention resulted in nothing, and now suddenly so much grace. God gave me to understand that I should not abandon my efforts, but that I should not trust in my own efforts to find prayer. It is within the power, within the authority of God, to make the prayer be felt even without effort. At any rate, he who prays must, on his part, take all measures necessary to find prayer, without believing that these measures will definitely bring prayer. Rather, he should believe that if God wills, he will be given prayer, otherwise he will accomplish nothing. The farmer sows. He cultivates the field well, makes sure that the plow goes deep, rakes up the earth, brings what is underneath to the top, and then he sows. Afterwards, he waits for rain and fair weather. If fair weather coincides with rain and the proper atmospheric conditions, the seeds will sprout, grow, and yield their fruit. Otherwise, nothing will happen. Or if they do sprout, they will yield so little that the farmer will not even recover the seeds he sowed. However, the farmer hopes in God and says, If God wills, I shall obtain fruit. And in times of drought, the poor farmer prays and has the field blessed with holy water because he believes that if God wills to send rain, sun, and so forth, his labor will bear fruit. Otherwise, in spite of all the measures he has taken, he will not obtain fruit. The same thing happens in the spiritual realm. No matter how well a person may prepare, he will bear fruit only if God wills. For this reason, humility must precede all spiritual pursuits. One reaches the point of being convinced that absolutely nothing can happen without God's help. He believes this and says, I sign with my own blood that I am nothing and that I am unable to do any good. And while he has not yet finished signing that he is nothing, immediately he sees vainglorious thoughts. And he reflects, Just now I was signing with my blood that I am nothing. How could a vainglorious thought attack me? So it is clear that God must even give us humility. Despite all the work we do to realize our nothingness, it is still God who must give us the sense of this nothingness. So then, what is one to do since this is how things are? Should he do nothing good and make no effort, waiting for God to give him humility and grace? No. He must do whatever is required of him concerning this or that virtue, and then wait humbly with the awareness that if God wills, this virtue will receive flesh and bones, and then he will be able to bear fruit. Otherwise, only the labor remains. Getting back to the subject of prayer, 
I repeat that we must prepare ourselves for it. We must enclose ourselves within ourselves at the appropriate and pointed time. We must make an effort to reflect on something related to prayer. For example, our sins or the fact that time is passing and we are not doing anything or that death and the tribunal await us and so on. After this sort of improvised and brief meditation, immediately a mood for prayer comes. We put our noose into our heart and breathe in a restrained manner, saying the dear little prayer, Kyrie Jesu Christe eleison me, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And if sometimes we feel that it is laborious or that we are sleepy, we must persist. We don't seem to get anything out of it, of course, but imperceptibly something good is created within us. The next time we sit down to pray, we shall feel somewhat better, and the next time, better yet. Thus, little by little, we shall begin to get something out of prayer, and with time, we shall find more and more. Of course, in this effort, the devil shall most certainly attack us. He will distract us and bring us various fantasies. Our effort must be to exclude all these things and attend to prayer. The work's not easy. It seems simple. You bow your head, collect your thoughts, and follow the prayer. In essence, however, it is difficult because the evil one does not want to hear this prayer. Noetic prayer is an implacable enemy of Satan. Consequently, it is not so easy for the devil to tolerate it burning and scalding him, to permit it to establish Christ in man's heart, and expel him from the region surrounding the heart. As we have said, the purpose of prayer is to bring Christ within the heart of man, something unacceptable to the opposition to Satan. This simple single-phrased prayer is so powerful that it is not possible for man's mind to contain it. For this reason, Satan combats it, fights hard against it, and brings us distraction, restlessness, distress, and suffocation with the sole aim that the person not pray. Continuing steadfastly in prayer, prayer takes patience, persistence, forbearance. Let us not say that we are unable to do anything because then we shall not succeed in acquiring this prayer, which is so vast that it contains heavenly things within it. Let me explain. When prayer becomes active, the noose becomes so clear, so illumined, so dynamic, it receives such strong wings that it ascends very high and meets God with all his graces. Then the noose becomes so receptive to spiritual contemplations that one says, which contemplation shall I choose? On the other hand, when the noose is not enlightened by prayer, it is extremely sluggish. It cannot be moved fruitfully to even a single contemplation. When one makes an effort and does not find prayer, the evil one comes and says, See, you made such an effort, didn't find anything, so give up this prayer. But experience tells us its own language, that patience and persistence are needed, for the heart does not easily open to prayer. Many blows and much effort in prayer are needed. What happens with a seed? It sprouts. Little by little it rises upwards. It breaks the surface of the soil, emerges into the light of this world. Then it puts out a shoot, grows, blossoms, and bears fruit. Same thing happens with prayer as well. 
Little by little, it will break the hardness of the heart. It will emerge at its surface, and when it emerges into the light of the spiritual world, it will begin to sprout, grow, blossom, and bear fruit. When God counts a person worthy after years of working at this spiritual prayer, then although previously he himself had felt that he was weak in humility and lost prayer easily, he sees humility established as a spiritually natural state. Then prayer is also established and retained. A little child, when he first begins to walk, is not strong. His knees are not strong, and he easily falls and hurts himself. As he gets older, of course, his ankles become stronger. Then it is easy for him to walk without falling. The same thing happens with prayer, too. So we must do all these godly labors because they predispose God to send us his grace. That which is harmful in the spiritual struggle is despair and hopelessness. There is no need for despair. Despair in any spiritual sector whatsoever is from the devil. It is never from God, but always from the devil. And whenever it approaches us, we should say, this is from the devil. The devil does not attack every prayer, but he is particularly aggressive toward this one. One can say all other prayers easily with the inner voice. When one begins this prayer, however, all the demons gather. Satan's opposition and the war he wages against it reveal how good, spiritual, and fruitful this prayer is. We have not understood that we shall gain what we shall gain, how much we shall benefit from this prayer. That is why we do not have the appetite and the patience for prayer. So let us struggle. Let us labor in prayer until God sends his grace. And then when grace comes, it will instruct us in everything. Homilies on Prayer Continued On the Practical Method of Noetic Prayer When we were in the wilderness, our vigil began at sunset and lasted until the morning hours. My elder of blessed memory, Yosif, in teaching us the duties of the monastic life, greatly emphasized the practical method of noetic prayer. Just as he continually forced himself in prayer, he insisted that we also force ourselves as much as we could in order to establish deeply within our noose and heart the name of the Lord, which is the cornerstone of the whole spiritual building. After sleep, my elder would tell us, man's noose is fresh and clear. It is in a perfect condition for us to give it, as its first spiritual food, the name of our Lord and God and Savior Jesus Christ. But since the devil knows this, he hurries as quick as lightning to sow the tares of his evil thoughts when we wake up so that the memory, like a mill, will begin to grind them, and the noise made by its turning will sound like his kind of prayer. In Miller's jargon, the part of the mill where they put the wheat, the barley, the corn, or whatever else is to be ground, is called the hopper. In Greek, it is called the desire. It is open and wide on the top, but becomes so narrow on the bottom that it permits only a few grains to fall rhythmically between the millstones. Whatever enters the desire, in quotes, will pass between the millstones and be ground. But whatever enters the heart, which has all the human desires within it, does not have to ascend and pass between the millstones of the noose. Out of the heart, said the Lord, proceed evil thoughts, and ascend and pass one by one and are ground. 
The more unclean and earthly the heart is, the more dirty and base the thoughts are. Therefore, in order to keep all the muddiness of thoughts from ascending into the noose and to cleanse the heart as its creator desires, we bring our noose down into the heaven of our heart through noetic prayer, and thus we transform the place of the passions, where Satan is indirectly worshipped, into a holy temple of God, a dwelling place of the Holy Trinity. This figure we have sketched is simple to describe with words, but to apply it requires all man's powers with the full cooperation of divine grace. And since God always offers himself and even entreats, Son, give me your heart, it is necessary that we also offer ourselves entirely and obediently to the ascetical rules of our watchful fathers. So be careful with your first thoughts after sleep. Dreams, fantasies, whether good or bad, Whatever sleep bequeathed to us, we must obliterate immediately. And right away we must immediately take the name of Christ as the breath of our soul. Meanwhile, after we throw a little water on our face to wake up, and after we have a cup of coffee or something else to invigorate us, as long as our vigil begins long before midnight, we say the Trisagion, recite the Creed, and it is truly meet to the Most Holy Theotokos, and then we sit in our place of prayer with the weapon against the devil, the prayer rope in hand. Did you sit down on your stool? My elder would ask. Wait a minute. Don't start praying in the prescribed way before you concentrate your thoughts and meditate a little on death and on what follows it. Consider that this is the last night of your life. As for all the other days and nights, you are sure that they have passed and have brought you to this point of your life. But as for this night ahead of you, you're not sure whether it will hand you over to the day that will come, or to death, which is coming. How many people will die tonight? And how do you know that you will not be among them? So reflect that you are about to leave shortly, and either the angels or the demons will come to claim your soul, according to what you have done. At the hour of death, the demons are bitter prosecutors and bring all the works of our life to our memory and push us toward despair. The angels, on the contrary, show the things we have done for God. And from this preliminary court, the course of the soul is determined. Then come the aerial tollhouses, the dread tribunal of the judge, and the verdict. And if the outcome of all these proceedings will be damnation, then what will you do, wretched soul? What wouldn't you give at that hour to be delivered? Come to yourself, like the prodigal son, and repent, and seek the mercy of the most merciful God. Whatever you would want to do then, do now. Have you sinned? Repent. Behold, now is the acceptable time. If one meditates upon these things for even a short time, without images or fantasies, he is moved to contrition. His heart is softened like wax, and his mind stops wandering. The memory of death has this natural advantage, to overcome all the illusions of life and create godly mourning in the heart. Within this contrite atmosphere, you can begin your single-phrased, unceasing noetic prayer. While your thoughts are collected and your spirit is broken and humbled, bow your head slightly and turn your attention toward the place of your heart. It is also broken and humbled and waits for the noose to descend in order for them, the noose and the heart, to offer a supplication to the most compassionate God with the hope that 
he will not disregard it. The bodily process of respiration begins with breathing in through the nostrils. Attach there too the respiration of your soul through prayer. As you inhale, say the prayer once, following it to the heart, and as you exhale, repeat it once again. Establish your noose where the breath stops in the place of the heart, and without distraction follow through inhaling and exhaling, the prayer being inhaled and exhaled. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Kyrie Jesu Christe eleison me. Assume the disposition of someone in love, and without fantasies or images, say the name of the Lord Jesus with the inner voice. Send away every thought, even the most beautiful, the most pure, and the most salvific. They are from the evil one, from the right to stop your prayer. Disregard all evil thoughts, however obscene, profane, and blasphemous they may be. They are not yours. Do not be concerned about them. You are not responsible. God sees where they come from. Just do not be enticed by them. Do not fear. Do not be carried away. Do not consent to them. If you are distracted for a little while, as soon as you perceive that you have strayed from the place and the manner of your prayer, immediately return. And if you are carried away again, return once more. If you keep returning every time you are distracted, God will see your labor and your eagerness, and by His grace, little by little, He will make your noose steady. The noose is accustomed to run around and only remains where we feel pain. Therefore, pause momentarily after you inhale. Do not exhale immediately. This will cause a slight, harmless pain in the heart, which is the place where we want to establish our noose. This small pain greatly assists by attracting the intellect like a magnet and holding it there to serve the noose somewhat like a servant. Indeed, little by little, as time passes, the sweet name of the Lord, the name which is above every name, when called upon with pain and contrition, works the change of the right hand of the Most High on our soul in the place where sin had previously encamped. The circular movement of prayer in the place of the heart enlarges its boundaries so much that it becomes another heaven, a heaven of the heart, able to contain the uncontainable. There will be a war, a mighty struggle for the throne of the heart. In the beginning the devil will act through the passions and their fumes, that is, various thoughts opposed to prayer. And the more he loses ground through fasting, vigil, prayer, and other ascetical efforts, the more he will roar, and the more forcefully, by the permission of God, he will try to manifest his evil and cunning through various influences, temptations, and afflictions. But the affectionate providence of the Heavenly Father will always trace out the limits of his jurisdiction in proportion to our strength to resist his attacks. Before a temptation, Christ, the judge of the contest, always provides hidden grace to the combatant so that the rage of the enemy is crushed by it, and the combatant prevails and emerges victorious. We have to please the Lord by bearing afflictions in order to make up for all the grief we caused him when we were lured by sin. At that time the devil rejoiced, and God was grieved. Now it is God's turn to rejoice, and the devil's turn to be grieved and be torn apart. Amen. Homilies on prayer continued 
the path to unceasing prayer. The heart of man is the center of movements above nature, in accordance with nature and contrary to nature. Everything begins from the heart. If the heart of man is purified, he sees God. But how can we see God? Does God perhaps have human form? Does he have the shape of a human? No, of course not. God is invisible. God is spirit. He is able, however, to reign in man's heart when it becomes a vessel fit to receive him. For the heart of man to become a vessel fit to receive God, it must be cleansed of unclean thoughts. But in order for the heart to be cleansed, some kind of cleaner must enter into it. This cleaner is prayer. Wherever the king goes, his enemies are driven out. And when Christ, or rather his holy name, enters into the heart, the phalanxes of demons are put to flight. When Christ is enthroned well within, then everything becomes submissive. It is like when a good king conquers a country and is enthroned in the capital. Then he subjugates all the rebels with his army. That is, he pursues the enemies and pacifies the country from internal troubles. And then there is peace. Meanwhile, the king sits on his throne and sees that everything has been subdued. Then he rejoices and delights in seeing that the labor and fight have ended, and that they have brought obedience, peace, and all the desired results. Thus it is also with the kingdom of our heart. It has enemies within it. It has rebels. It has thoughts. It has passions and weaknesses. It has storms and disturbances. All these are within man's heart. For the kingdom of the heart to be pacified and subjugated, Christ, the King, must come with his regiments to take control of it and drive out the enemy, the devil. He must subjugate every agitation from the passions and weaknesses and reign as an omnipotent emperor. The resulting condition is called by the Father's stillness of the heart, when prayer reigns unceasingly, bringing about purity and stillness of heart. There are many ways to pray. In the beginning, we must first pray orally in order to attain our first final goal. This method is necessary because the noose of man is in perpetual motion. And since it moves not in accordance with nature as it should, but rather is misused because of our indifference, it roams the entire world and rests in different pleasures. Sometimes it goes to carnal thoughts and enjoys their pleasure. Sometimes it goes to other passions, and at other times... It loafs around indifferently here and there. Wherever it may go, wherever it may stay, it finds some sort of pleasure. Therefore, a person who aims to gain prayer without ceasing must collect his scattered noose, that vagabond that roams around all the alleys, so that it may be tidied up and become neat and clean. In order to collect it, however, we have to offer it something sweet. For as we've said, it finds pleasure and delight in roaming here and there. Again, we have to attract it with something that has pleasure. For this reason, in the beginning, we need to say the prayer with the mouth. The beginner who is taught the prayer must begin to say with his mouth, Kyrie Isu Christe eleison me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And must take an effort to pull his noose away from worldly things. The sound that comes out, the sound of his voice will attract his noose to pay attention to the prayer, and thus little by little it will be get used to being collected instead of scattered. Of course, the effort, the attention, the intention with which we pursue unceasing prayer, as well as keeping the goal in mind, 
all help to concentrate our noose. In time, as we say the prayer in this manner, it also begins to create within us a certain pleasure, a certain joy and peace, something spiritual which we did not have before. Little by little, this attracts the noose. As all prayer progresses and attracts the noose inward, it also begins to give the noose the freedom to say the prayer on its own, without the mouth saying it. That is, it begins to bear some fruit. Later, when the prayer is said sometimes with the mouth, sometimes with the noose, it begins to take over the soul. Then, as the noose occupies itself with the prayer, it begins to enter the heart, to the effect that one feels his heart saying the prayer as he just stands there. However, in order to reach this point, the correct method of saying the prayer will greatly help. When we abandon the regular and natural rhythm of inhaling and exhaling and breathe in and out slowly, less oxygen goes to the heart. This creates a certain pain, a kind of constriction in the heart. This pain naturally results in attracting the noose and making it pay attention to the heart. This attraction of the noose to the heart brings about their union. It is just as when one has a toothache. The noose may roam about, but it returns to the tooth because of the pain. So, as the prayer is said rhythmically with controlled breathing, the noose will go down where the pain is, and thus distraction is eliminated. Once distraction has been eliminated in this way, the noose will find stillness. It will not find a reason to be scattered, since the pain collects it. Controlled breathing, along with attentiveness, is necessary to keep the noose from escaping. In this way, we shall be able to cut off distraction, which bleeds the essence out of prayer. In other words, distraction takes away the benefit of saying the prayer. By eliminating distraction, we give the noose the ease to pay attention to the heart. So we begin by breathing very slowly and joining to our breath the prayer, Kyrie Jesu Christe, eleis on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. We may say the prayer either once, twice, or three times as we inhale. Then as we exhale, again, we join the prayer to it. We might say the prayer three times when we exhale and two times when we inhale, however we are able. In any case, it is in this sense that we say the prayer rhythmically with our breathing. Now then, if we are able to say the prayer noetically with controlled breathing, fine. If, however, we have difficulty because the tempter creates problems, we should breathe through the mouth and our tongue may move slightly, which is very beneficial in the beginning. As we inhale through the mouth or the nose, we should be saying the prayer while the noose is in the heart. The noose should pay attention to the heart without imagining it. The noose should simply position itself in the place of the heart. And we should not imagine the heart, because if we imagine it, delusion will gradually enter, and we will be praying with the imagination. Prayer has no danger of delusion when it is done without distraction, without form, with a simple noose, without any shape or figure at all. The noose must be pure of every divine and human imagination. We must not imagine Christ or the Panagia or anything else. Only the noose should be noetically present in the heart, in the chest, nothing else. It should only take care to be in there. But at the same time, along with the breathing, the noose should say the prayer without imagining anything else. The heart should work the prayer like a motor and the noose should follow the words of the prayer 
as a simple observer. This is the unerring path of prayer. When we practice this method in the beginning, we will find some difficulty. But afterwards, we will find breadth, height, depth. First, a certain joy mixed with pain will come. Then gradually come joy, peace, tranquility. And once the noose is sweetened, it will not be able to tear itself away from prayer in the heart. Such a state will arise that we will not want to tear ourselves away from it. We will sit or stand in a corner, bend our heads down, and we will not want to tear ourselves away from it for hours on end. We might sit there for one, two, three, four, five, six hours, rooted to the spot, without wanting to get up and without the noose going anywhere else. We will observe that as soon as it wants to go somewhere else, bending our head down brings it right back. In other words, a kind of captivity in prayer occurs. This method of prayer is very effective. First, it will bring undistracted prayer. It will bring joy and peace. Simultaneously, it will bring clarity of the noose and tears of joy. The noose will become receptive to theorias. Afterwards, it will create absolute stillness of the heart. One will not want to listen to anything at all. He will think he is in the Sahara Desert. At the same time, the prayer will be said more rapidly. He might want to say it rapidly, or he might want to say it slowly. We should say it however it pleases the soul, however the soul wants it at that time. So, we will say, Kyrie Isu Christe eleison me. Kyrie Isu Christe eleison me. Lord, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. While the noose will be following the prayers, a machinist follows the machine that is working. And then once we cannot inhale anymore, we will exhale slowly. Until we reach the end. Then we inhale again slowly, not hastily, but gently, calmly, quietly, without haste. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And you will see later, while you are working that as soon as you take a breath, you will say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Then as you exhale, you will say the prayer again. The heart and the noose on their own will be so pleased with this method that no matter where you are, the noose will say the prayer at every breath. Of course, you might not say the prayer three times at each breath. In any case, you will say it at least once. Then later, you will acquire a rhythm, like the rhythm of a machine masterfully tuned. And then you will see the results that this prayer has. It will attract you more and more. You will say, 15 minutes must have passed, whereas in fact, two hours will have passed. That is how much a person will not want to take his noose away from his heart and from listening to the prayer. Who needs chanting or anything else for that matter? This is why the fathers in the desert did not need such things. Of course, these are sanctioned by the church, but the people who have found this method of noetic prayer, which is much higher than the conventional prayers, abandoned the conventionalities and laid hold of the essence. Since we have lost the essence, perhaps because we don't have teachers to tell us how to pray, or because we don't have the motivation and the desire, we have laid hold of the conventional prayers. Thus, today's monks do their vespers, their services, and beyond that, nothing. They also work and say that they do their duty in doing so, 
but they haven't done their duty. St. John the almsgiver formed a monastery and said, Fathers, you do your spiritual duties and I shall take care of your food so that you won't have material cares and thus deprive yourselves of prayer. I shall provide you with the necessities and you pray. The abbot answered, Your All Holiness, Master, we do fulfill our duties. We read the first hour, the third, the sixth, the ninth, Vespers, Compline, and serve liturgy. Ah, he replied, it is obvious that you are negligent. Then what do you do the rest of the time? What was the saint trying to say with this? He was saying that they did not fulfill their duty because they did not pray without ceasing. When we get up for our vigil, after we say the Heavenly King or Comforter, the Trisagion, 50th Psalm, the Creed, we should bend our head a little on top of our chest, and we should try to tear our noose away from everything and put it inside our chest within our heart. As we bend our head, we should compel our noose to go in there. Once it enters, we should begin by saying with the breathing, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And you will see. Of course, in the beginning, there may be some small difficulty, but a little perseverance and patience will bring the desired result. Then once one's heart has been ignited and sweetened, and he gets the knack of it, nothing can stop him, even if he sits there all night. And then you will see that time passes and you will say, but I just started to pray. And you will find immense benefit from this method of prayer. For what purpose did we come here? Didn't we come to find God? Didn't we come to find His grace? Didn't we come to find peace? Didn't we come to be delivered from the passions? Well then, with this prayer, all these things are accomplished. The prayer will produce a warmth, a flame within the soul. After the prayer generates this warmth, the warmth will bring more prayer, and so forth. Then once this happens, you will see that little by little, weaknesses are burned up, thoughts are burned up, the passions are burned up, and we end up with purity of heart. And then the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit will come and make an abode, a dwelling in the heart. The Holy Fathers say that the noose is easily defiled and easily purified, whereas the heart is purified with difficulty and defiled with difficulty. The noose is easily defiled when it is distracted by something evil. The heart, however, does not immediately participate in the defilement. When the heart has created a good spiritual condition but later loses it somehow, and the noose begins to be defiled by various things, the heart does not change easily, for previously it had been changed by grace, and so evil progresses slowly and with difficulty. Therefore, prayer is needed to transform the heart from being fleshly, passionate, and egocentric into dispassionate, so that it feels no passions. When the center is purified, the rays and the circumference will become pure. Prayer will drive out despair, hopelessness, negligence, and laziness because it will produce a new resolve, a fresh desire for new struggles. So when we sense this transformation within us, then we will understand precisely that the fruit and the goal of prayer are. Then we will understand that the kingdom of heaven is within our heart. The kingdom of God is within you. It is there, within the heart, that we will find the precious pearl by digging with the prayer, breathing in and out, 
striving to keep our noose attentive in our heart. What is that pearl? It is the grace of the Holy Spirit, which we received when we were baptized. But whether out of ignorance or because we progressed in the passions, this grace has been buried. Another helpful method is to inhale and follow the air as it descends from the nose to the larynx, to the lungs, and then to the heart. There's where we should stay once we take several breaths. This is where we should hold the noose in the heart. In the meantime, we should breathe slowly, gently, calmly, not hastily. In the beginning, the devil brings distress and the heart feels some difficulty and other negative feelings. But gradually it will begin to break through this difficulty and the beauty of it will begin. Then there's no need for a teacher. The prayer itself will teach us. You will see that automatically the noose and the heart on their own will desire to pray in this manner because they perceive the benefit to be much more than what you imagine it to be now. For here everything is capitalized on. Here is gold, not coins or silver or anything else. This is solid gold. Who can discover gold somewhere and not go there to collect it with all his eagerness and greediness? I marveled at my Yeronda. We had special stools for prayer. They were just like regular chairs, but lower, and the armrests were higher for more comfort. He would sit there for hours on end, saying, Kiri su Christe eleison me. And when Divine Grace was active and the noose was clear, he would stop saying the prayer and begin Theoria with his noose. But when he didn't find Theoria and his noose was wandering, he put it in his heart again and obtained benefit from prayer. Thus he obtained benefit either from the prayer or from Theoria, and in this way he would spend seven, eight, nine hours. After praying and praying, you think that you have just started. What are three or four hours? And if the noose wants to escape, to unwind, it is pulled back as if there were something in the heart pulling it back and attracting it. Little by little, a person who occupies himself with this prayer is perfected inwardly. His heart is purified more and more, and subsequently he acquires prayer of the heart. Then he attains high levels of prayer. On its own, the noose follows the heart as it says the prayer. At this level, inhaling and exhaling the prayer is unnecessary. This is called prayer of the heart. Our holy fathers, after occupying themselves with the prayer for many years, gradually acquired ardor and then eros for God. Then, once divine eros greatly increased, they went out of themselves and came to Theoria and had ecstasies. God took them. Did he take them with their soul, with their body? It is not important. In any case, they went out of themselves. A person does not know if he goes up there with his heart or with his body. He only knows that this high level of prayer brought him to Theoria. We see that when St. Gregory of Sinai went to St. Maximus Kavsokalivis, whom they considered deluded, he asked him, Yeronda, tell me, have you acquired the prayer? He answered, Forgive me, Father, I am deluded. Do you have anything to eat? Then St. Gregory answered, I wish I had your delusion, and repeated, Tell me, have you acquired the prayer? Well, 
That is precisely why I go into the wilderness, so that I can retain the prayer, said St. Maximus, the hut burner. Have you experienced the fruits of the Holy Spirit? St. Gregory continued asking. Eh, those things are from God, answered St. Maximus. And where does your noose go when you have the prayer and the grace of God comes? It ascends to divine things. It goes to the last judgment, to paradise, to hell, to the second coming. God takes it to heavenly light, to the state of heaven. All these things spring from noetic prayer. Without it, none of this happens. We see how much this method of prayer helps one to attain ceaseless prayer. He who practices prayer in this manner, even when he is at work doing his handicraft, will say the prayer as he inhales and exhales, without even wanting to. The prayer will stick to his breathing. As soon as he inhales, he will start saying the prayer without wanting to. This method has such beautiful results. We must begin with a desire, with eagerness, with zeal. One has a little difficulty in the beginning, but the road will open, and then no one can stop him. Let the others say whatever they want afterwards. His soul has been sweetened, and no one can stop him. Then you will see that you find grace, alleviation from the passions, and especially alleviation from filthy thoughts. You will find great relief. They will be obliterated with time. They will be wiped out from the noose through prayer, and the heart will become completely well. The heart will become like the heart of a child who feels no passions. It will see everything naturally. Since we had acquired the habit of saying the prayer with inhaling and exhaling, when we served and had to say the petitions, sometimes in the beginning, of course, I nearly said Kiri Su Christe instead of the words of the petitions. For it was a matter of breathing, and the prayer had stuck to it. A person grows so accustomed to it that nothing can make it leave afterwards. That is how much it overcomes a person, of course, in proportion to the energy he employs. In the beginning, he will be able to say it for a short period of time. The next day, more. The next day, even more. And then he will say it constantly. When we were on the holy mountain and our Yeronda was alive, we said the prayer for two, three, four, five hours with inhaling and exhaling. Of course, when sleep fought us, we got up and went outside to say the prayer out loud, for more relaxation, so to speak. But when sleep was not an issue, we stayed inside all night. St. Gregory Palamas says that when the prayer is said with every breath, in time a subtle fragrance comes out of the nostrils. Indeed, this is the case. Through prayer, a fragrant air will be produced, which is nothing but a fruit of prayer. When we were beginners and were saying the prayer like that, there was so much fragrance that everything smelled sweet. Our beards and even out of our chests came so much fragrance. The air we inhaled and exhaled was all fragrant. And I thought to myself, what is this prayer? It is the name of Christ. And what doesn't the name of Christ contain within it? By the name of Christ, the holy gifts are sanctified. By the name of Christ, baptism is done. The Holy Spirit comes. The saints raise to the dead. By the name of Christ, everything is done. One of the watchful fathers said that when the soul departs from a person who has acquired the prayer, it is not possible for the demons to remain near him. 
since his soul departs with this prayer. The name of Christ is his weapon. His soul is armored with the prayer. How can the demons approach him? That is how great its benefit is. This is why the angel who taught St. Pacomius said, Many learned men abandoned their studies and their scholarly works, occupied themselves with this prayer, and attained sanctity. Likewise, the Hermitus Fotini wrote that the services are like one's daily wages. If you worked, you are paid and can buy food. If you didn't work, you don't get anything. This is how the conventional prayers of the church are. But unceasing noetic prayer gives you not only your daily wages, but it produces great spiritual wealth, and you can put it in the bank and get rich. With this prayer, a person sits and listens to his heart working. This work is very productive. Just as a machine works on its own, once we get it started, the same thing happens when one progresses in the science of prayer. As in the old days, machines were manually operated and required a lot of labor. But once it is made automatic and electric, it is more productive and requires less labor. The same thing happens with the prayer. In the beginning, it requires labor to regulate the prayer with one's breathing. But afterwards, the work becomes automatic and the noose monitors it as a machinist monitors a motor. Prayer is aided by keeping silent, by not having boldness or pride. Pride is a very great obstacle to prayer. When praying, as soon as the noose has proud thoughts, criticize yourselves constantly so that the pride does not raise its ugly head. It is beneficial even to hit yourselves with a cane. Call yourselves names so that pride does not raise its head at all. A person should not be thinking anything at times of prayer, but should only try to pray with fear. The more he adorns his prayer with love and humility and the fear of God, the more progress he will have. If you try this out in practice, you'll see it for yourselves. Just as when we go into the candy store, we find chocolates, pastries, and various sweets. So also in the spiritual candy store, one finds many different sweets, and we will take whatever the baker gives us. We will do our duty to regulate our prayer and humble ourselves, and then whatever God sends is his business. We will do all the formalities, but it is God who will give the substance to prayer. But the more humbly we pray, the more benefit we will have. Most importantly, though, the noose must be attentive to the words of the prayer without thinking anything else at all. This is the heart of the whole matter. It is impossible for a person praying in this manner to be deluded. So this is how we will pray from now on. This method will be our rule of prayer, our canona, because it will greatly assist us to see our passions, our faults. All this effort will help us collect our noose. However, light and moving around create commotion in the noose. But when a person remains in one place, whether standing, sitting, or kneeling, his noose has no commotion. This method has a lot of substance in it. If you work at it, you will see for yourselves, and you will find great things. There was a certain pilgrim who had been initiated in noetic prayer. Because he had much meditation, self-denial, and freedom from cares, since he was not bound with a family, work, or any other things, he said the prayer continuously and felt very great love for Christ. That is, he really did have divine eros in his soul. 
He had great desire to go to the all-holy tomb of Christ. He thought that there he would in some way have his fill of love for his dearly beloved Christ. So he went down to Jerusalem to the tomb of Christ and went inside to venerate it. Certainly he felt intense feelings of passionate spiritual eros. He reflected that here the one whom he worshipped, Jesus Christ, had been buried and that here was his empty tomb and so forth. As he venerated the holy tomb, right there, and so forth, as he venerated the holy tomb, right there upon the tomb, he gave up his soul. When the others saw this, they said, let's see what this man had hidden in his heart. They did an autopsy, cut open his heart, and were amazed. There within his heart were written the words, Jesus, my sweet love. Footnote, a similar miracle occurred with the heart of St. Ignatius, the God-bearer. To continue, do you see how rich the prayer had made this man, how much it had enriched him with divine love? Just think where he found himself after his death. Certainly, angels received his soul and took it before the throne of Christ, crowned in splendor. Only through noetic prayer does man reach dispassion, neither by much reading, nor with much chanting, or by any other way is it possible to attain dispassion. He who prays in this way will learn on his own to hate idle talk and boldness, and will try to find time alone in order not to lose the spiritual state he finds through prayer. I pray that God will give you the feeling of this prayer, and when grace comes, then you will discover these things in practice and understand what I am telling you now. Amen. Homilies on prayer continued. Patristic counsels on prayer. The work of the Jesus prayer is not just for one or two days, but it lasts a long time and many years observes the divine Chrysostom. For much struggle and time is needed for the devil to be expelled and for Christ to take up his dwelling. Devote yourselves to prayer, therefore, and wait on the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. Seek nothing but mercy from the Lord of glory with a humble and piteous heart. Cry out from morning to evening and, if possible, all night. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And compel your noose in this work until death. All our fathers give similar advice, each in his own way and with his own words, depending on his experience of war and victory over the enemy, who is literally unnerved and totally enfeebled by unceasing noetic prayer. Brethren, always breathe Christ, urges St. Anthony the Great, the professor of the desert. Always remember God, and your mind will become heaven declares St. Nilos the Wise. The more one persists in prayer, the more the heart is purified, the more the noose is illumined, the better one's disposition becomes, and the more the kingdom of God spreads its joy and its presence within man, who is in the image of God and for whom the God-man Jesus covered all the ends of heaven and earth with his virtue, his passion, and his resurrection. A person who withers his sense of taste through asceticism who restrains his senses from all the delights of the world, and who stands courageously until the end against the influences of the ruler of this world, will receive here in this life a foretaste of the good things of the heavenly kingdom, tranquility of thoughts, peace of heart, sweet flowing tears, rapture of the noose, knowledge of mysteries, superabundance of love, 
theoria and vision of God, perfection as far as possible for human nature. All this is attained through a systematic, continual, persistent, unyielding struggle for noetic prayer. But for this unceasing noetic meditation to be heard by God, a person who prays must also fulfill the monastic and in general Christian terms of the spiritual life, which in turn help prayer. As for a disciple monk, unshakable obedience is required toward the elder, who is the visible model of the life of Christ the Savior. As for all Christians, it is required that they regulate their lives according to the advice of their spiritual fathers and that they obey the canons of the one holy Orthodox Church, so that each individual does not wander off on his own road of wishes and desires, just as the Holy Scriptures advise that we be attentive. The very simple and comprehensive view of Abba Minos is cited in the sayings of the Desert Fathers. Obedience in return for obedience. When someone obeys God, God obeys him. And Abba Isaiah elucidates this at greater length. It is impossible for God not to hear a person if that person does not disobey God. For he is not far from man, but it is our will that does not let him hear our prayer. If you pray and are not heard, make sure that you are not perchance being disobedient. If you pray at night and are not careful with your lifestyle during the day, it is though you are building and destroying at the same time. If you are indifferent in little things, you will definitely succumb and fall in big things. Attend to yourself. God will not send his grace permanently into a heart that does not put up a fence against its desires or into a mind that shows no sign of restraining itself from its aimless wandering. In the beginning, God gives his grace to help us, to rouse us, to sweeten the senses of our soul, to attract us. But if we do not labor along with it, grace will have no effect and will withdraw. Appetite comes from eating and prayer from praying. Are you at your diakonima, at your work? Remember what the Holy Fathers said to themselves as they worked. Body, work so that you may be fed. Soul, be watchful so that you may be saved. Is your mind wandering? Say the prayer in a whisper and do not talk idly, for you will also harm others, including yourself, through idle talk. Abba Philemon said, Many of the Holy Fathers could see the angels watching them which is why they guarded themselves with silence and did not converse with anyone. Instead of wasting your time, say the prayer. And the more that listlessness and indifference come upon you, the more you should fear the threat which the Lord addressed to the wicked and slothful servant. If you let the days and nights pass with increasing negligence, soon you will end up extremely negligent. Will you perhaps boast of your negligence? when others will receive crowns for their labors. Brother, labor a little in prayer and watchfulness, and you will see joy well up in your heart and light dawn in the firmament of your mind, not the kind of joy that disappears before you enjoy it, but the joy that is sweet, similar to the sweetness of the angels, and the light without evening of the other world, which Christ, the light of the world, who comes through the prayer, will bestow upon you before you depart from this world. Didn't this happen to our fathers? And can't this happen to us as well, if our lack of faith and our negligence do not prevent it? My elder also used to say, labor a little in order to have God as your debtor, 
and in time he will send you much more than what you labored for or sought. But do not forget the words of St. Isaac the Syrian. First the devil struggles to do away with the unceasing prayer of the heart, and then persuades the monk to disregard also the appointed times of prayer, and his prayer rule, which is done with bows and prostrations. So do not listen to the whispers of negligence, and if you want God to cover your faults, you also cover your brothers, and bear with him during his temptations and pain. Do not talk back, and do not conceal thoughts from your spiritual father, for you will labor your whole life in vain, and your prayer will remain fruitless. If you are not cleansed through frank confession, how will you approach to receive the immaculate and life-creating mysteries of Christ? Haven't you heard that they bring life to those who partake worthily, and death to those who receive unworthily? Do not say, I am just like the others, for this is foolishness, and the judge cannot be deceived. Every thought which brings despair and excessive grief is from the devil, and you should reject it immediately, for it will cut the thread of prayer. Every thought which causes moderate grief within the soul, mixed with joy and tears, is from God. The grace of God never drives a person to despair, but only leads him to repentance. Anthology on Noetic Prayer 1. Prayer is one of the foremost and strongest powers that causes him who prays to be born again, and it grants him bodily and spiritual well-being. 2. Prayer is the eyes and wings of the soul. It gives us the boldness and strength to behold God. 3. My brother, keep praying with your mouth until divine grace enlightens you to pray also with your heart. Then a celebration and festival will take place within you in a wondrous way, and you will no longer pray with your mouth, but with the attention which works in the heart. 4. If you truly desire to expel every anti-Christian thought and to purify your noose, you will achieve this only through prayer, for nothing is able to regulate our thoughts as well as prayer. 5. Be careful, because if you are lazy and inattentive in prayer, you shall not make any progress either in your pursuit of devotion toward the Lord or in the acquisition of salvation and peace of thoughts. 6. The name of Jesus Christ, which we invoke in prayer, contains within it self-existing and self-acting restorative power. So do not worry about the imperfection and dryness of your prayer, but with perseverance await the fruit of the repeated invocation of the divine name. 7. When guided by prayer, the moral powers within us become stronger than all our temptations and conquer them. 8. Frequency in prayer creates a habit of prayer which quickly becomes second nature and which frequently brings the noose and the heart to a higher spiritual state. It is the only way to reach the height of true and pure prayer. It constitutes the best means of effective preparation for prayer and the surest road for one to reach the destination of prayer and salvation. 9. Each one of us is able to acquire interior prayer, that is, to make it a means of communication with the Lord. It does not cost anything except the effort to plunge into silence and into the depths of our heart, and the care to call upon the name of our sweetest Jesus Christ as often as possible, which fills one with elation. Plunging into ourselves and examining the world of our soul give us the opportunity to know what a mystery man is, to feel the delight of self-knowledge, 
and to shed bitter tears of repentance for our falls and the weakness of our will. 10. May your entire soul cleave with love to the meaning of the prayer, so that your noose, your inner voice, and your will, these three components of your soul, become one, and the one become three. For in this way man, who is an image of the Holy Trinity, comes into contact with and is united to the prototype. As the great worker and teacher of noetic prayer, the divine Gregory Palamas of Thessaloniki said, When the oneness of the noose becomes threefold, yet remains single, then it is united with the divide, divine triadic unity, and it closes the door to every form of delusion and is raised above the flesh, above the world, and above the prince of the world. 11. Whenever the prayer is active, there is Christ with the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity, one in essence and indivisible. Wherever there is Christ, the light of the world, there is the eternal light of the other world. There is peace and joy. There are the angels and the saints. There is the splendor of the kingdom. Blessed are those who in this present life have clothed themselves with the light of the world, Christ, for they have already put on the garment of incorruption. 12. Since Christ is the light of the world, those who do not see him, who do not believe in him, are all most certainly blind. Conversely, all who strive to practice the commandments of Christ walk in the light. They confess Christ and venerate and worship him as God. Whoever confesses Christ and regards him as his Lord and God is strengthened by the power of the invocation of his name to do his will. But if he is not strengthened, it is evident that he confesses Christ only with his mouth, while in his heart he is far from him. 13. Just as it is impossible for someone who walks at night not to stumble, likewise it is impossible for someone who has not yet seen the divine light not to sin. 14. The goal of noetic prayer is to unite God with man, to bring Christ into man's heart, banishing the devil from there and destroying all the work that he has accomplished there through sin. For as the beloved disciple says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Only the devil knows the inexpressible power of these seven words in English and five words of Greek of the Jesus prayer. And this is why he wars and fights against the prayer with furious rage. Countless times the demons have confessed through the mouths of possessed people that they are burned by the action of the prayer. 15. The more the prayer unites us with Christ, the more it separates us from the devil. And not only from the devil, but also from the spirit of the world, which engenders and sustains the passions. 16. The prayer's Satan, that is, adversary, is listlessness. Satan's Satan is the desire for the prayer, the fervor of the heart. Be fervent in spirit, says the apostle, serving the Lord. This fervor draws and retains grace for the one who prays, and it becomes light and joy and indescribable consolation for him. But to the demons it is fire and bitterness and persecution. When this grace comes, it collects the noose from its wandering and sweetens it with the mindfulness of God, healing it of all evil and unclean thoughts. 17. 
is the prayer on your lips, then grace is there as well. But from the lips it must pass into the noose and descend into the heart, and this takes much time and labor. The tongue must toil in order to pay for all its idle talk and its falls, and it must acquire the habit of praying, for without labor and practice a habit cannot be formed. Humility must also appear for grace to come. After that the road is clear, the prayer cleaves to our breathing, and the noose wakes up and follows it. With time the passions abate, thoughts subside, and the heart grows calm. 18. Do not get tired of bringing your noose back every time it wanders. God will see your eagerness and your toil and will send his grace to collect it. When grace is present, all is done with joy, without toil. 19. With the prayer, we pass from one joy to another. Without the prayer, we pass from one fall to another, from affliction to affliction, and heavy is our remorse. In short, with a little labor and pain in the prayer, we obtain much joy making mourning, compunction, and tears, along with the sweetness of the presence of God and the immaculate fear of Him, which cleanses and purifies noose and heart. 20. The heart must be purified for the noose also to be enlightened by it with the pure thoughts reflected toward the noose from above. 21. It is not the unrepentant who enter the kingdom of God, but sinners who are transformed through repentance and tears. Nothing helps man fight and conquer the passions as much as unceasing noetic prayer. 22. When you are attacked by listlessness, when the noose, the tongue, and the fingers on the prayer rope are flagging, I beg you not to give up. Make a little more effort so that God will see your resolve and strengthen you. There is something more that God wants from you, and he allows this time of temptation so that you may give it. For he knows, and you know, that you can do more. Therefore, compel yourself as much as you can at your appointed time of prayer. Do your duty to have God as your debtor. And if you do not receive grace, you have prepared yourself for the next time or the time after that. In any case, sooner or later you shall receive grace. It is impossible for you not to. In fact, it is God's practice to give much more when he delays. 23. The field of the heart yields in accordance to how well it has been plowed by prayer, watered by tears, and weeded of thoughts. 24. From time to time it happens that without your being at fault, grace withdraws. It is as if God were saying to you, All your works are fine, but do not think that everything depends on you. I shall come and go as I see fit, to teach you to completely cut off your will and to be patient, so that you learn the lesson of humility well. 25. Those who are advanced in the prayer have the in conviction that in spite of all man's labor, prayer is a work of grace. 26. St. Simeon the New Theologian says clearly that no one is able to glorify God on his own, but it is the grace of Christ which has taken abode in him that glorifies and hymns God and prays within him. 27. It is a sign that the grace of God has visited the soul when one prays with fear and reverence standing with much orderliness and giving great attention to what one is praying. 
28. Attention must be inseparably bound to prayer, in the same way the body is inseparably bound to the soul. In other words, the noose should guard the heart at times of prayer, always circling around within it. And from there, from the depths of the heart, it should send up prayers to God, continuously saying, Kyrie Jesu Christe eleison me, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Once it tastes and experiences there in the heart that the Lord is good and it is sweetened, the noose no longer wants to leave the place of the heart. It says along with the Apostle Peter, it is good for us to be here. It wants to circle around, pushing out and expelling, so to speak, all ideas sown in there by the devil, not allowing any thought of this world to remain, and thus becoming poor in spirit, bereft of every worldly thought. Such a task seems very arduous and oppressive to those who do not know about it. But those who have tasted its sweetness and enjoyed its pleasure in the depths of their hearts cry out with the divine Paul, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 29. Our Holy Fathers, heeding the Lord who said that the evil thoughts which defile man proceed out of the heart, and that we must cleanse the inside of the cup for the outside to be clean also, left every other spiritual work and devoted themselves completely to this work, namely to the guarding of the heart, being certain that together with this work they would easily acquire every other virtue as well. 30. The God-bearing St. Simeon the New Theologian says, Let us purify our hearts so that we may find the omnipresent Lord within us. Let us purify our hearts with the fire of his grace, that we may see within ourselves the light and glory of his divinity. 31. Fortunate are those who have approached the divine light, and entered into it, and have been united to the light, and become all light, for they have completely stripped themselves of the defiled garment of their sins, and will no longer weep bitter tears. Fortunate are those who have known already in this life the light of the Lord as the Lord himself, for they will stand before him with boldness in the life to come. Fortunate are those who have received Christ, who came as light to them, who were formerly in darkness, for they have now become sons of the light and of the day without evening. 32. St. Gregory Palamas says that when the prayer is practiced in conjunction with breathing in and out, in time it causes a sweet breath of grace, a savior of spiritual fragrance, come forth from the nostrils of the person praying, a savor of life unto life, according to the great Paul. Truly, there is nothing like the breath of the prayer, of unceasing noetic prayer. The prayer sheds grace not only on the person praying, but it also overflows and is diffused, spreading through him to creation. As he breathes in, he is purified, vivified, and sanctified. As he breathes out, he purifies, vivifies, and sanctifies creation. It is not he, but divine grace that accomplishes this. 33. In these last days, when the breath of the Antichrist pollutes land and sea and every breath of life, God fans the activity of Noahic prayer in the bosom and heart of the church like a refreshing dew of grace, like the breeze heard by the prophet Elias, as an antidote for the health and salvation of soul and body in the days that are upon us and those to come. 34. I know thousands of souls in the world 
throughout the whole world, I would say, who compel themselves in the prayer with wondrous results. The prayer fortifies them in their spiritual struggle. It enlightens them inwardly, and they confess thoroughly and sincerely. Distressed by the thoughts and temptations which the demons rouse against those who say the prayer, they run with longing to the Immaculate Mysteries. Then they run back to the struggle with thoughts and passions, and then back again to the Mysteries. They can no longer do without the prayer. 35. The prayer is breath. When a person breathes, he is alive, and he attends to his whole life. Whoever begins to say the prayer also begins to correct his whole life, with his spiritual father as a guide. Just as the rising sun awakens, illuminates, and gives life to creation, so also when Christ, the Son of Righteousness, rises by means of the prayer in man's noose and heart, he awakens him to do the works of light and of the day without evening. 36. Therefore, brethren, breathe Christ continuously, as St. Anthony the Great, the chief of the ascetics, used to say. And the apostle to the Gentiles advises, exhorts, and commands all Christians of every place and time to pray without ceasing. The Divine Fathers explained that without ceasing means that there is no end or measure to it. So, in time of peace, do not be negligent, but pray, correct yourself, prepare for war, take courage, do not fear temptations. Everyone experiences changes, but patience and perseverance are needed in the struggle. The righteous man, even if he falls a thousand times a day, rises again, and it is considered a victory for him. This is what the prayer means, continuous repentance, incessant calling on divine mercy. To Christ our God, who gives prayer to him who prays, be glory and thanksgiving unto the ages. Amen. End of chapter 15.